3: Yet another really exciting team to talk about now that remade their team maybe not being talked about as one of the favorites in the west but statistically should be absolutely right up there they i think most people would agree that they got much better the utah jazz with the additions of boyan bogdanovich mike conley and uh because we have david Lockon, on we can't forget ed davis and emmanuel moody as well i'm sure we're gonna hear plenty about all those additions starting right now how you doing
0: what about jeff green
3: thank you yeah, see i've i should have actually been like reciting it off the roster instead of the top of my head sorry <laughs>
0: <laughs> Jeff Green on the minimum.
3: Yeah. And then when you think that Dante Exum is going to play this year, he barely played last year. It's like you got six new players. Uh, but yeah, it's uh, it really, tongue in cheek aside, it's a really exciting time for the Jazz going forward here. And I think where I kind of wanted to start is just talking last year about this team a little bit. Do you think that they just got a tough matchup in Houston? Like, was this actually the third best team in the West last year? And they just got burned by the matchups and by Portland winning a game they're trying to lose on the last day of the regular season? Or was there something about this team that just didn't quite have it in the playoffs.
0: It sounds so kind of sour grapey and sophomoric and, you know, to say, yeah, we just got a bad matchup. Um, I would say that, you know, in the week and a half prior, every discussion was how do you avoid Houston? We were no different than anyone else. And, you know, the Jazz particularly matched up badly to Houston. Like that's, And actually, the Jazz did a pretty good job of defending by the time that series was done and kept Houston down after the kind of first six quarters of disaster, uh, when they finally bought into their bizarre defensive approach on Harden, it actually worked. Uh, But even if the defense, and this is the essence of why the Jazz had to change who they were, even if the defense did a good job and kept Houston to their average or a little bit below their average, the offense couldn't catch up. And so that's why that was a particularly bad matchup. Had the Jazz opened with San Antonio and then played somebody else and then, you know, and then played Denver or Portland, do I think they would have had a chance to go to the Western Conference Finals? Sure. Do I think that they might not have just redone their team anyway? Regardless, probably. I think there was a knowledge that the time had come and that this team had to rebuild who they are, and they have made a dramatic change to who they are
3: yeah it seems like it and obviously that starts with the addition of mike conley interesting fit in the backcourt with donovan mitchell neither of them have ever played with a creator quite on the the order of the other i mean conley played with rudy gay way back in the day but that was before conley really became like the the close to all-star level player that that he is how do you see that working out with those two guys together in the backcourt
0: that's the one that you just brought up to me that is maybe the most interesting interesting story to this team and i don't know the answer i on one level it's how is Mike Conley going to help Donovan Mitchell. That seems to be the way most people have talked about it, but I would flip it. How is Donovan Mitchell going to help Mike Conley as Mike Conley gets a bit older and can, and is Mike Conley comfortable not having the ball in his hands, every possession. I mean, this guy has been as ball dominant out of necessity. It's as any player league. It's not that he hasn't had a score since Rudy Gay in 2011. He hasn't got had guys who can dribble. He hasn't had guys who can pass. He hasn't had guys who can shoot, right? I mean, he's had Avery Bradley and Garrett Temple and Tony Allen and Tayshawn Prince. Like, Tayshawn Prince could shoot. He couldn't really dribble or pass. Tony Allen couldn't do any of the three. I mean, there's probably never been a point guard for a five year run who was more, the team was more dependent on them having the ball. And so, who is Mike Conley if he gets to play off people? Last year, unguarded catch and shoot. He was in the 96th percentile in the league. Two years prior, 98th percentile, effective field goal percentage. If you take out his injury year in the middle, and so you take 16, 17, and 18, 19, effective field goal percentage on open catch and shoots, 77% effective field goal percentage
3: yeah that's uh a slight upgrade over what the jazz uh, have had in that position uh, in the donovan mitchell era and i still would think that mitchell can benefit more perhaps uh, than conley did just because uh of exactly what you just said i mean conley certainly will have more open catch and shoots but just who conley is replacing as an off-ball player you know i don't see donovan mitchell as oh like mike conley is going to like drive and set up donovan mitchell like mitchell is not that type of player yet yeah, maybe he'll evolve into that but i think now just having actual space to work with really for the first time in Quinn Satter, i think has done a pretty darn good job considering uh, the personnel of giving mitchell that space and having the jazz get up a lot of three pointers before but now with conley being a guy that you really really have to guard you know i think mitchell is in so much better a position to succeed you're not going to have the 10 15 minutes a game where it's favors and go bear together Uh, offensively which was really a struggle for Mitchell uh, as well and so I I think he could really blossom this year and get more efficient just do the uh, uh, you know maybe he can get to the rim more instead of having it be a floater all the time for example in uh out of pick and roll
0: so, you've brought up a bunch of things that are that are vital here. So I tend one, to do that so uh, of course <laughs> you do uh so the one thing that is just so true is that uh favors and gobert were a dominant defensive team, and it's going to be a it's going to be a tremendous kind of psychological change through this coaching staff that has always been big enough always had enough guys out there to deal with this but they were in offensively when favors and gobert were on the floor together the offense was just bad right it just it just struggled really really badly i think they were in about the 11th or 12th percentile of all offenses last year here now so let's go back to the other thing mike conley and donovan mitchell how do they help each other i think the area where they help each other is that both these guys used a lot of possessions late in the shot clock. So Donovan used 9% of his shot's in the final four seconds of the shot clock and shot 25% last year. Mike Conley used 14.5% of his possessions in the final four seconds of the shot clock and shot 34%. Even more alarming for Mike Conley, 27% of his possessions were in the final seven seconds, and he shot 33% in the final seven seconds of a shot clock last year. He will should not have to do that as much Yeah,
3: and I do think also if I trust anyone to get the most out of two guys who at their core have been pick-and-roll players... I think that's Quinn Snyder because the Jazz, as you've often cited, run the most pick and rolls in the NBA.
0: Well, they run the most pick and rolls and the most handoffs. You'll have Donovan coming to his right hand and Conley coming to his left hand on those. However, Quinn Snyder does it; he's big into that. He understands that concept. I think we'll see both of those things um, from from him using those two players. And they'll be, you know, depending what the closing lineup is, you could have fifty percent corner three shooters sitting in each corner at that time.
3: Yeah, th- that looks really good. I mean, maybe we'll see that Joe wing will have a little bit of a reduction in usage but i thought he was a while his ball handling was underrated, he was probably a little overstretched as the primary creator uh, on the second unit a lot of time do you think the plan will be to stagger conley and mitchell throughout the game
0: i don't know that i think some of that will depend on what emmanuel moutier can do i, I if i were them i think my hope would be i don't have to stagger him at all how great would it be if you could keep them on the floor most of the time um i would stagger Personally, I would stagger Donovan and and uh Boyan and have Bogdanovich be the second team scorer, and then maybe Conley plays in three stints instead of two, so he intermixes with those both groups. But that I would have I would have forty eight minutes of either Donovan or Bogdanovich on the floor. The one that's interesting to me in all this conversation, and, and might back up what you're saying, is Mike Conley is such a great pick and roll player with Marcusole. Um, what is he gonna be with Rudy Gobert, who might be the best role who is the best role man in the NBA at this point? Um, what is he gonna be able to do there? I, I that to me gets really interesting. I mean, you know, even Joachim Noah and Mike Conley were at about one point two points per pick and roll last year. Like Joachim Noah like, what is he going to yeah, do with there, the guy who, who might
3: actually? be one of the worst finishing right. big men in the league?
0: Right. So, like, what does it mean that now, you know, Ricky Rubio and... Uh, Rudy Gobert were a pretty dominating pick and roll combination and Ricky Rubio's, you know, rim lobs were about equal to his shooting percentage at time. And Rudy ran 54% of his pick and rolls last year with Ricky Rubio. Like, what happens when it's now Mike Conley running 54% of the pick and rolls with Ricky Rubio?
3: Yeah, I think that'd be interesting. And I'm also interested to see where Conley is now getting to the room. You know, that he's always had a high free throw rate, but a lot of that is the field contact, throw something up. I mean, He's not getting all the way to the rim and finishing. He does have that beautiful right-handed floater, though, uh, for the the lefty. That's one of my favorite shots in basketball. But I'm interested to see whether Mike is really going to like get on top of the rim and be able to finish, because you know that the defense is going to be trying to stick to Gobert to take away that lob. And I'm interested to see whether his shots at the rim increase, especially with far more spacing than he's used to in Memphis as well.
0: And if I remember correctly, there's been a decline in the last few years of his rim finishing. So I think that's, you know, he turns 32. You know, I've got two major concerns on this team. Uh, That's one of them. Uh, His rim shots were, I believe, last year at a career low. Uh, I believe for the first time ever, he was under 25% of his shot attempts were at the rim last year. So Mike Conley turning 32 years old is one of my two areas of concern for this basketball team. What's the other one? I I think a lot of people have to give. I, I, I think there's a lot of guys are going to really have to give of themselves. So uh, you know, Mike Conley averaged 20 points a game last year and probably likes averaging 20 points a game. He's going to have to give. Maybe that's the easiest one. Donovan probably isn't at a stage of his career where he's ready to give a lot right now. He's a great kid. hes I say this all the time about Donovan. He's the person I'm hoping to raise my children to be. But he averaged 24 points a game last year and took 20 shots a game. I, I don't think he's ready to go to 16. I, and, and I don't blame him, frankly. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. Uh, Bogdanovich got a pretty high usage rate by the end of last year and was really awesome at it and you know you can know perfectly well when you sign that there's not going to be as many opportunities but you know I, I he averaged 15 shots a game I think in the second half of the season last year does he want to go to 11 huh I kind of doubt it Jeff Green's played 30 minutes a night for a bunch of the years recently in his career and there aren't 30 minutes for Jeff Green to play and uh Joe Ingles has got to give a little bit so I, I think there's a lot of there's a lot of guys that have you know I j- exaggerated Jeff Green he was at 22 to 27 the last few years but I just think and he's probably might be be as low as 17 or 18 on this team. So I just think there's a lot of guy. Royce O'Neill, I think, is ready to have a breakout. Uh went from 16 to 20 minutes. He's probably gonna want to go to 25 and probably take more than four shots a game. He's he's really worked incredibly hard in this offseason and he's a free agent. So I, I think there's a lot of guys are gonna have to give on this team. A little bit more than people have talked about.
3: Yeah, now I do think Conley in last year was by far the highest usage of his career at twenty-seven <laughs> percent. Still not that high for some of these ball down at point guards. Um now he he could be a free agent too in theory i mean there there is that to be said but i think between Conley Mitchell I mean these are, are some really high character high quality guys I, I trust them to figure it out uh, you know I mean and especially if the team's winning right I mean I think it's if they have some struggles then maybe it's you know because uh, obviously every player when the team is struggling the reason you're struggling is because I'm not getting enough minutes or touches or shots right like that's that's the first thing that they think about but hopefully this group should be good enough how's the schedule this year by the way is it one of those like crazy early jazz schedules or is it a little more even this no,
0: it's, I mean, it's a good test early. You've got OKC opening night, Lakers, Sacramento, Phoenix, but then cl- you play the Clippers, Clippers twice, Lakers, Philly, Milwaukee in the first 10 games. So you're going to know, uh, you're going to know a lot early now getting the Clippers twice early with Paul George possibly out might be good. Uh And I uh, getting Oklahoma City early is bad because it'll be before they undo it. Uh And, but there, it was generally a pretty even schedule. There's there's a few too many one night home stands. I mean, if you're getting picky yeah. about it, cause those all seem like road games i mean the you know the jazz go on the road they go road for one home for one road for one home for one road for one at one point it's like whoa like those are that's 10 straight road games basically but other than that
3: usually with the time zone change as well uh, given their location
0: uh, we traveled the most miles of anyone, but I'm begging for an excuse if I'm coming up with things. No, I thought this. Unlike last year, which, if anyone listened to me last year when we were on this show and then throughout the year, I just harped on it all year long. Denver started with the easiest schedule in the league, gained all sorts of confidence because of it. Jazz started with a ridiculously hard schedule and and didn't have the confidence, and it hurt Rudy Gobert and Donovan Mitchell's chances to be recognized as as all stars or that caliber of player because of it. And in turn, you know that that was that was the impact, frankly. Is um so we'll see.
3: Yeah, I. I'm of the belief that for team success, you'd rather have a harder schedule as long as you can keep it together. Playing all the bad teams at the end when they are just not trying or they're playing young guys or they're straight up outright tanking is a big advantage, actually. Whereas those teams are trying at the beginning of the year. So I actually think that the Jazz uh have, have run off these crazy records at the end of the last two seasons. I think in part because of that. So I, I actually think it might be a little bit of a disadvantage, but as far as like the national narrative is concerned, yeah, I think that it's probably better for some of those guys.
0: Well, we'll see. Uh, you know, and then there's load management, whatever that means.
3: <laughs> uh, so, what is the jazz getting in? boy and Bugdanovich. four seventy-three 73 million dollar deal There, All reports right. yeah, let's go that's
0: my gripe with you what i mean i always have one gripe with you right like last year we had to fight about gobert you've been like killing the jazz for paying him so much money you just dropped it in there four years I, 73 i don't know little subtle thing there you've been calling it an over like what else were they Nah,
3: had- danny danny is a lot worse on it than it than i was thinking. no i mean it is it's not going to be a good contract by the end i think that's pretty clear but given where they were and given that they weren't necessarily going to have flexibility next summer and the fact that you know next summer's free agent class wasn't that great and that he's a pretty good fit with what he did now no i, I mean i understand the why they did choice it
0: completely. was rudy gay
3: yeah no i mean no, I, that's, and, and the,
0: I, that's the issue when miritich yeah. was gone boyan is the choice and the next choice is rudy gay yeah
3: well anyway i, I think you're mischaracterizing my All position right. a, let's a little kill bit that, danny but, when
0: he's not here that'd be awesome phew. Let's go after well, it, Danny, no, what are you I mean, talking? It's, no, I'm
3: just it's mostly just a summary to remind people of like what happened. Though it was, it was not right. necessarily a, I was a ready jab. Simply it's simply relating facts. There's there's no uh, Oh, but you were
0: relating facts with hours of airtime behind it with <laughs> insinuendo in innuendos of the yeah. overpay. No. Like I I uh, love I gotta I gotta share this with those the jazz as the guy who like listens to all the jazz commentary with thin skin, um yeah. which I'm you know owning to right there. Like for for years, the Jazz have been killed for the amount of time they played favors and Gobert together, r- rightfully or wrongfully. A debate that I don't need to get into anymore. Yeah.
3: I was uh, I was higher on that than some people, but, and you might have yeah. been
0: higher. You might have been higher on it than I was. Um, yeah. You know, frankly, yeah. having to watch that offense. Um, every night was hard at times, uh, and then there were matchups where it just didn't work. And so you kind of, I think, you get tainted by being around it. You forget how many nights it did work, or how many other things did. I, I, I chuckled at the same, the same. Sometimes the same people have said that, and then, oh, four years, seventy-one is too much. Like, hey, we, they they were moving on, and they only had one. Sp- when Miritich didn't stay in the United States, they only had one spot where they could move on. Yeah, and I think I'm
3: not saying that I wouldn't have done that for some of the reasons I said it. And I mean, this is really actually a team that's a little bit older other than Mitchell than people really. I mean, Gobert is smack dab in the middle of his prime right now. They've just gotten Mike Conley. Joe Ingles, you know, is getting to an age where he could be falling off in a couple of years. So I think the, the time was, to, was really now to strike and yeah you know they might have gone uh, and and I'm not and I think that Boydanovich could be worth that contract this year you know and, and maybe next year he could play like a 17 million dollar a year player even though he is coming off the career year in Indiana and you're paying for that it's just you know the last couple of years he, he probably you know uh, may not be a starter type of player and he'll, he'll be making a fair amount of money at that point but that's that's just the downside you have to deal with I think
0: it's so interesting what you bring up and that is if you're going to win you have to have 31 year old players but at the same time if you have 31 year old players they can get older on you and you can have a problem with them
3: who's gonna guard the Paul Georges and Kawhi Leonard's and LeBron James uh, on this team
0: probably Royce O'Neal I, I think Royce O'Neal is gonna get is going to I, I think there's seven primary rotation players on this roster and so, I so you could
3: see him closing games Royce, Royce O'Neal I do then against I, I think Royce
0: him. O'Neal could I you know if you have to have a defensive player out there on the floor um I think they're gonna ask Joe and and Bogdanovich to try to Joe Ingles and Bogdanovich to try to try to do it when they can because the offensive lineup is so good in that circumstance. Uh, but Royce O'Neill is the best defensive uh, player on this roster, or Dante Exum. I mean, you know, it, it's hard to to put Dante Exum in anything other than pencil with all the injuries that he's had, yeah. unfortunately. Um, but if he is healthy, then Dante Exum plays an interesting kind of off the bench um, Patrick Beverly, you know, elite level defensive player type guy. Uh, that is not in the primary seven guys I was talking about before.
3: Yeah, I really respect what O'Neal uh, has become. He actually provides some good transition play. He can run a little bit of pick and roll. His three-point shooting when he is able to take them it hasn't been bad. Uh, but I think he's just a little bit too light in the shorts uh, and not quite the size and length to guard some of those guys that I was mentioning if it does so get into you, a playoff you situation. You might
0: be right on that, Nate, but talking to players, there are certain guys who, and you probably know this just even from the amount You've played. Yeah. Every now and then there's guys you hit that are just like you're like, damn, yeah. right? Like that's Royce. And that's actually one of the ways in which the Jazz found Royce was in one of the kind of free agent camps they had where he was there. Guys talked about, man, did you hit that guy? Did you, that guy, so though he's 6'6", 225, and he's not, he's short.
3: Yeah, I I didn't realize he weighed that much.
0: He's he's really a brick. And so he's one of those guys that you hit and you're like, dang. Uh, So, I, you know, it'll be interesting to see whether or not they can, you know, do they start him at a four and have him play those guys to start the year? And then you've got a guy with a rebounding percentage of 9.2% as a starting four. That's a scary number.
3: Yeah, well, I mean, the, with Rudy Gobert there, they don't give up many shots at the rim. That helps your defensive rebounding percentage, and he's obviously a great defensive rebounder. So I, I, where I really end up here is, you know, they they no longer have favors and they no longer have Crowder. They replace them with Bogdanovich and Jeff Green Uh, basically. Can I interrupt you for
0: one second because I have a question because I think I was too close to it so I don't have an answer. Okay. So I look at the numbers on Jay Crowder. Terrible real plus minus last year. Terrible defensive um, real plus minus and the second worst shooter at his position. It feels too harsh to me uh, for the guy I watched last year. Plus minus was pretty you know regular plus minus seemed like it was pretty good. What's your take on what, what the Jazz did or did not lose in Jay Crowder?
3: Well certainly if I'd had the option of moving Dante Exum instead of Crowder I would have preferred to do that I'm not sure whether that was in the cards whether they valued him whether Memphis just wasn't interested in him in that trade um you know I I thought Crowder was a valuable player sorry you're gonna say something
0: no sorry I just coughed I tried
3: okay I I thought Crowder was a valuable player I mean that type of player obviously is just the hardest player to evaluate I mean number one is his three-pointer going to come go in is he getting guarded out there and then his defense as well you know he certainly still had that reputation. reputation uh of being one of the more underrated players back when he played for boston then he had an awful year with Cleveland ended up getting traded to the Jazz he was better with the Jazz but still struggled to shoot it so I I mean I think it got to the point where teams weren't just totally ignoring it but he definitely was a little bit of an offensive liability his shot selection wasn't amazing at times as well but I thought he he really was a valuable defensive player uh, played hard in just their overall scheme you know I I would say he's better than Bogdanovich or Jeff Green uh, on that end and uh so
0: so I would too and had a little
3: more heft yeah he was
0: 80th of 90 power forwards in defensive real plus minus. He was behind Channing Frye and Jabari yeah. Parker.
3: Yeah. Well, a lot of that, is, I mean, while well, it purports to do so. I think that it doesn't do a good enough job of filtering out the contrast between other lineups. And obviously the biggest thing he was being contrasted with was Favors and Gobert together, which okay. was a great defensive group. So, I mean, like their raw numbers with him and Gobert on the floor were fine, right? I mean, you look at, and you just look at what that closing group over the two years are together with Crowder at four, Gobert at five. Closing games usually was a pretty effective unit for them, no, if I, mean, if I recall correctly. Yeah, so, that's
0: why, I mean, that's why it was. it's hard for me to equate. So I ask you is because I think I was too close to it to know. To know really what what's lost in them.
3: Yeah, I mean, I don't think you trotted him out there and you're like, oh man, this guy's a, a liability. Maybe he was overrated because of what he was in Boston a couple of years ago. But, you know, I, I do think they have a little bit of a defensive downgrade there. And so, uh, where I wanted to get to is number one. Is this defense now with the offensive upgrades, at least with the starting lineup, maybe, you know, if you put O'Neal in there, it's a little different, but with the starting lineup, is this kind of like Rudy Gobert uh, and the Gobert airs or are there other defensive players where maybe my conception that is he's got to be the defense by himself isn't quite accurate
0: so i do think that that starting lineup could adjust as the year goes on by the way like i think yeah, and, and a to be like, clear
3: we're talking about bogdanovich and uh joe ingles in the front court that's a, the projection right now or, or at the forward position yeah
0: i mean i don't know if i i don't know what the starting lineup is so i think yeah. it could be royce o'neill i think it could be if you're playing la and they're starting anthony yeah. davis i mean
3: bogdanovich like, didn't come here for 74 73 million dollars to come off the bench though so how, much did, like.
0: how much how much do they pay Bogdanovich <laughs> um right so i think you have four starters gobert bogdanovich mitchell and conley and then you're just trying to figure out what the yeah. best way to use joe is um
3: yeah you know, I, I mean i would like to see ingles minutes reduced i think that he they just had to play him so much because they just didn't have anyone else i, I think he kind of started to wear down towards the end of some of these seasons
0: I, the interesting one on joe ingles is joe ingles is going from the second offensive option to arguably the fifth yeah and If that means he's getting wide open looks again, then he goes back to being the 44% three-point shooter he was for the two prior years.
3: Yeah, and I think that's, I was very impressed with the versatility he has gained to his jump shot to be able to shoot off the dribble a little bit more, stepping back to his right a little bit. But yeah, I think it would be nice for the Jazz if his role were reduced somewhat.
0: So, to answer your question that you started with, I think that's the grand question of this team. I mean, if Rudy Gobert puts a third defensive player of the year trophy, they're going to be the number one seed.
3: Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, that could well be the case. I mean, if they are top five in defense... Again,
0: then they're, if they're the top five in defense again, I'll take them as the number one seed in the West. I didn't say they're going to win the playoffs, but I'll yeah. take them as the number one seed in the West if they're a top five defense. Because I'm pretty certain they're going to be a top ten offense with this group. If not, maybe even I don't know if they can get as high as top five. I'd have to look at. It. I mean, some of it depends, though. Frankly, Donovan's got to get efficient, and Moody and Dante Exum are really inefficient. So it depends how many minutes and possessions you're giving those guys when you do your analysis. Um I mean, Moody is really negative, so you got to figure out like h- how much of a negative impact he's going to have in 14 to 18. Minutes a night, or is it not? Or is he not? You know, if he doesn't play well, then as, as you said earlier, Donovan and Conley are sp- suddenly splitting time, and Donovan's playing with the ball in his hands.
3: Yeah, you know, Moutier. I, I want to get back to Donovan in a second, but Moutier to me, I actually liked that fit uh because I think they just needed one more guy who could create some shots. I mean, they just now Moutier. I agree with you; he hasn't been particularly efficient. He's very reliant on the mid ranger for the the flashes of competence that he has shown in his career. Maybe hitting at an unsustainable rate, and he struggled obviously. Defense defensively as well. Well, you've got a pretty good defensive system, hopefully Rudy Gobert at times, though I guess Gobert will probably be matched up more with uh, Conley. He probably won't play that much with with Gobert, but you you have a good defensive system behind him for probably the first time in his career. And they also just kind of need someone who can create a mid-range jumper. They just didn't have that on this team and so if you say hey you know what like this guy's taking too many shots he's inefficient blah blah but if you want to say hey you know we're gonna be taking some shots at the end of the shot clock anyway we needed someone to create uh he can at least like get to a shot in the mid-range and potentially make it which we didn't have before maybe he fits into a role there despite the fact that you know, maybe you don't want him playing a lot of minutes with Conley or Mitchell and taking possessions out of their hand.
0: Two things on Moody that are interesting to me. One is he's been a good corner three shooter for two years in a row. And then last year was a good mid range shooter. And he's a terrible above the break three point shooter. So yeah. I don't know enough about it. I can just look at the numbers and see that. So yeah. does that kind of
3: be- shoots it on the way down? It, d- right. it seems like he would be more comfortable with the shorter line.
0: So is that a flaw that can be fixed or not? That's up to, you know, and I, I don't get a feeling that he's had a tremendous amount of coaching when you kind of go through his background, uh, for those who don't know it, Moody is come, he goes to he's in Dallas. He goes to the De- Deion Sanders Prime Academy. Their team gets ruled ineligible. He doesn't play high school. I think his junior and senior year, he doesn't go to college. He goes to China. He plays twelve games and then kind of mysteriously, with all that lack of experience, Denver throws him out there on a terrible team and he starts sixty-six games and plays two thousand minutes as a nineteen-year-old rookie and he's terrible. Well, I'm not surprised by that. And then he's you know that, then your confidence is rocked and then he goes to New York last year, which was a zoo. So. So, you know, I don't, you know, and his agent basically calls up the Jazz and says, hey, this guy's got to learn how to play the game. Can you teach him and and take him for the minimum? And so we'll see whether or not he learns. The number to me on him and, and just watching some video of him and even just seeing him around the gym and open gym when I've been hanging around a little bit, he's really big. Like, he's tremendously big for his position he's six five and crazy strong i don't know if he's ever been in very good shape but he's six five yeah. he's probably two five two ten and he's in the 10th percentile in the league for his position at finishing at the rim like how is that possible so that's the number to me if they can get him to be an average rim finisher i think he's probably a very serviceable player unless he just some reason can't finish at the rim
3: yeah and i thought early in his career he really showed a lot of passing vision that we just had have not seen a a ton of that from him but yeah again I mean I think him getting the ball in Quinn Snyder's system with an advantage going downhill you know might be good for him as opposed to just having to be the guy creating uh, out of nothing uh, a lot of times um let's go back to Mitchell though you mentioned that he's got to get efficient how can that happen
0: well he took the second most amount of shots in the paint non restricted area behind pascal siakam and he was like of the top 50 guys in the league who took him i think only uh josh jackson of phoenix was worse i think that's right um right not john jack josh i got the right guy I
3: think. yeah josh josh jackson now now of the grizzlies
0: right so he dante or donovan of was took the second most and of the guys who took the top 50 was the second worst okay that that's got to go like you cannot take that many shots in the paint non-restricted it's a bad shot now well yeah, why, i mean why is did, that why did he that take
3: mentality those? yeah 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 good right that's what like, I was why do. did
0: he take those was it because he couldn't get to the rim anymore because defenses changed was it because nobody guards ricky rubio jay crowder and Derek favors and so you couldn't get to the rim because there were guys being unguarded all the time i'm going with the latter so let's see what happens on an open floor for the first time in his life and let's see how what he can do in that regard um he's in rocket shape he is just the best kid in the world he is uh he has the it at just a uh, unbelievable level, Nate. I cannot. I've just. I've been in this business for. I don't want to date myself, but I mean, I, I. first started in like 2004 or something. Or two. No, no, 1994. Like 25 years. Like I've been around like five guys in my lifetime that have the aura and the energy that he brings. Like he walks into the gym and it's all different. He's just that special. And I. I just. I think there was last year there was a absurd, faulty expectation that player who has a great first year house has a better second year that's actually not true they usually have the same second year and they have a great year two to year three and i think i i think he'll take a noticeable jump he'll get more efficient he's playing with better players who have less of a burden and some of the numbers that he put out in the second half of last year i don't think have gotten enough notice i mean he was about a 50 percent catch and shoot three-point shooter after january 1st
3: yeah and hopefully he'll he'll get a chance to do a little bit more of that with mike conley in the fold and i mean the other thing that sticks out to me too is he just never gets to the foul line I mean, And that's the, and he's got to just get the tricks there. I mean, I think part of his problem is, you know, he has done a great job of improving his one foot game, which was non-existent at Louisville. But he still really has to kind of gather if he's going to go up explosively. And you usually don't get foul calls on those type of plays uh, where you're really exploding into the guy off a two foot. And a lot of his one foot game is that scoop shot game that he's really worked on, which again, he deserves a ton of credit for, Uh, but he's not going up physically and he doesn't really have, you know, the pump fake, get guys in the air. Feel feel a guy on you and just barf up a shot and get to the foul line. So th- that, in addition to the floater, seems like the other way uh, that he could take a step forward to me. In theory, although I am I think getting rid of the floaters is more likely to be than being able to get to the line.
0: So I agree with you a little bit on the foul shot, but it's not as bad as you think. Um, only because I thought it was really bad, so I dug into it. Like, he's, if you look yeah, at... I guess 5.1 a game,
3: it's not as bad as If you look at, at cleaning the thought.
0: glass, he's in about the 58th percentile the last two years of shooting guards. So, I mean, he could be a little better, right? He's not... yeah but
3: but that's also that you know that's like there are not many shooting guards in the league who actually have the ball the amount that he does you know so
0: so it could be better it's not as bad like you know a lot of people want to compare him to wade right wade was always in the 90th percentile from the very beginning on that statistic so that's where that comparison falls apart yeah i always
3: actually my comparison for him not from a character standpoint by any means, is uh gilbert arenas i think he actually kind of reminds me a little bit more of arenas than than mm. duane
0: i like that you know who mine actually is and people will like freak out about this um is the la clippers eric gordon
3: who was a, a pretty darn good player back back in the but day he before. was also
0: in the 90th percentile of drawing fouls uh earliest donovan yeah and,
3: he, and even today i think he's a, a more physical driver and finisher than donovan is um But yeah, I mean, I think it's going to be really interesting to me. He's been one of the, like many such players where their number one skill is scoring, perhaps not that efficiently, but he was on, he's on a good team. He's been. Part of good defenses I mean, he hasn't doesn't kill you on that end by any means uh so is does he get too much attention because you know he's the one guy who's been scoring on these teams or does he not get enough attention because he's the only guy who can score on these teams and uh so seeing him as part of a more efficient offense this year can he be you know more of an additive player can he scale to use uh my buddy ben taylor's terminology this year i think going to be very interesting
0: if you count james harden as a point guard donovan's probably the second best shooting guard in the
3: well, we'll have to wait until I uh, do our shooting guard rankings this year, too. Uh, I mean,
0: I don't know what you call James Harden. Right?
3: So. Yeah, I, I consider him a shooting guard.
0: Okay, so then he's the Harden's the best, Bradley Beal's the second, and Donovan's
3: probably the best. Yeah, I mean, Victor Oladipo went healthy, but he, I, uh, I'm skeptical he can get back there. Um, so let's see. Let's talk about some of the other rotation battles. You know, I think Royce O'Neill clearly going to be in that. I almost said Royce Young because <laughs> I did a podcast with him the, the other day. Uh, where's Dante Exum at right now from a health standpoint?
0: I mean I think he's trying to get ready and uh you know he just hasn't played in a long time. I don't know anything official on his status of, of you know whether he's all go at training camp or not. I I don't I don't have any knowledge of that. Um, so, I mean, I think, the, you know, he's crazy strong upstairs. He's, he's done what you want him to do. He's rehabbed to get ready, but simultaneously while being limited, he's worked really, really hard on changing his physical um, makeup. And he's become a big kid. Like just um, even I bumped into him in the airport the other day as he was coming back into town and I was coming back into town. He's just, you know, he's, he's six, six big kid now, um, which change, you know, he, he's just an incredible athlete. There's, very few of him in the league i i always say this about dante I, I still don't have any idea how good he is i have no doubt why he was taken fifth
3: yeah well i I was mm-hmm. so high on him at the time we say we say this every year actually he was number two on my board because he just he had that just an incredible quickness and maybe his career might have gone differently had it not been for uh the acl and then the torn patellar tendon and the shoulder i mean it's been three basically lost years for him out of what four yeah. out of five i guess out of five
0: and so, i really don't understand you know i don't understand the science on that is his body is he just got a body that you know to, he, to be he takes to... <laughs> a lot of
3: bad falls to right. me i think I mean, like it's it definitely you know when when he drives and goes crashing into the cameras like it doesn't look like he lands right to me
0: he's always been a bit of a baby giraffe
3: yeah and maybe maybe he's gotten beyond that i mean i didn't see the injury where he where he tore the patellar tendon um but yeah i mean so I, obviously they're not necessarily counting uh on him uh so, I mean, we assume my, Jeff Green. My, here, yeah, my ahead, view
0: on him, I, I'm not Well, he doesn't agree with me because I've talked to him about it. So I know this is, I know that is true. Um I think he, I go back to Trevor Ariza of the Lakers. So I now see Dante as a wing and a great defensive wing. He he sees
3: himself as a a point guard, I assume.
0: Yeah. I mean, he's still, I mean, like I'm basically saying to him, Hey, you're 24 years old and I want you to give up the dream of being great. Right. Um, So I got it. Like I get why he says to me, how
3: how do you have a conversation like that uh, with a guy? Like, how do you even like bring that up to him?
0: I mean, I think I've been around him for every day for five years. And I think he knows that I like him and that I'm not trying to. And I said, you know, and if I say it publicly, I'm willing to say it to him. And he goes, I don't agree with you. I don't think that's who I'm going to be. I'm like, okay. That's great. Fine. We're good. I, I'm rooting for you. Like, I hope I'm wrong. I mean, he I does mean, I'm not still, saying I'm not yeah. saying it like insulting him. I just think at yeah. this point in his career, to relieve some of the burden, and his comment is, I don't need the burden relief. I just need to be healthy. So... Um, but I still think that's if I was the Jazz how I would probably use him now somebody else has got to be a, so you know maybe that's he's playing with Ingles and he's playing with Donovan and Donovan and Ingles are handling the ball and you're letting him play off the ball there's there's two reasons why one is you, you hope he becomes a good enough shooter that's that's a still a question mark he's a career 30% three point shooter which is not good enough and then the other thing is he is just lightning fast and so he if you get him the ball on the weak side with any advantage he is getting to the rim He and he is going to beat you to the rim uh, he took four 34% of his shots at the rim last year. It's an incredible number. And so if he can, if he can, I think that's where he would be great. Like, Ariza didn't even have that, right? Ariza was just a spot up shooter sitting in the corner with Kobe and Lamar Odom and all those guys and playing off of them and getting wide open corner threes and making 31% of them in those LA days. Uh, So that's why I talk about Dante like that. I don't mean it as as a criticism. I just think it allows him to use all of his strengths. He's an elite-level defender, so he could guard a wing defender in that role and not have to guard the point guard. I think his athleticism and his burst gets neutered when he plays the point guard because he has to think too much and i'm not sure i think as a point guard he involves his teammates yet as well as he could just because of his lack of play- of hours on the basketball court and so i'm taking away i think i'm taking away his weaknesses and letting him have his strengths he you know he he like it's i got it like i i, I admire I, i'm a huge fan of the person um and i just want to find a way for him to succeed on the basketball
3: court. yeah i think he still does show these flashes of really beautiful passes every once in a while particularly to the role man he's got he'll throw some imaginative angles or some nice passes along the baseline but in terms of the shiftiness off the dribble to really operate in pick and roll the lack of the mid-range game yeah i mean and the age and just the fact that he's just missed so much development time you know perhaps that might have been in the card for him if he had three more years of development time uh than he has actually had uh, to date um his pick, so, his yeah. pick
0: and roll numbers are surprisingly good. Yeah, um, I don't know what that means, um, and and I I don't feel as though when he runs the pick and roll that it's always that the, that the entire option of the playbook is available. Um, but I mean, he ran about five hundred last year, and he had a he had a he had a really high rate. He and Favors had a neat little combination going there for a while.
3: Yeah, I I think, and you know, again, I think a lot of that is Snyder's system gets in the ball on a handoff on a pick and roll in position to attack the rim. Him where he's not you know i'm gonna do all these fancy moves and put the guy in jail and really you know manipulate the defense on the back line with my eyes and that kind of stuff he you know but yeah i mean with, with him in favor i mean i think he can he could be effective there it's just all right are you gonna just throw him the ball as your point guard and say go run a pick and roll you know, I, i'm not sure that i would put him in that category <laughs> yet but um let's let's talk a little bit about the forward rotation here assuming that bogdanovich O'Neal and Ingles, one of those three are the starters. Jeff Green, probably looking like the backup power forward at this point, you'd say?
0: Unless, you know, if you look, when you're playing the Mavericks and they're starting Chris Porzingis at the four, and you're playing Dallas, or you're playing the Lakers, and they're starting Anthony Davis at the four, and what other? Minnesota's starting Robert Covington, so you're not doing it there, right? Uh, Portland, are they starting Zach Collins at the four? Do you care? I don't know if yeah, Zach
3: that's, Collins... Yeah, that's what uh, Mike Richmond told us right? the Right, so day, if that's so. the
0: case, do you care these seven feet? tall. Um, San Antonio starting LaMarcus Aldridge at the four with Jakob You Jeff Green's might might need to start those games. right? He's, I don't, he's, he's I still actually, legitimate 6'9". He's just a big body.
3: I actually might prefer Bogdanovich defensively in those spots over Green. I think Bogdanovich is actually a little tougher
0: there's a con- than Green. I think there's a concern that you're now asking a lot out of a guy for an 82-game season. I think there might be a yeah. feeling that you may, you may be right, but for the well-being of the year, let's let Jeff Green take that punishment and not have Bogdanovich worn down by those matchups. Now, maybe by the time you hit the playoffs, you decide that you're absolutely right, Nate. But for the course of an 82-game schedule, you might decide to start Jeff Green in those matchups.
3: Huh, that's interesting. I I will... I do believe that when I see it. I think with, between the equity that Ingles has and the contract that Bogdanovich has compared to the contract that Green has, I it would be a surprise for me to see Green starting over those guys. But, you know, I mean, I, I guess it could happen. It's uh And then do you think George Yang, is he going to get a shot in the rotation? Or uh, is he kind of break glass in case of an injury?
0: No, I think he's the opposite of break glass in case of injury um I think he's that guy that you actually are totally comfortable having on the floor surprisingly so unless you really know who he is and then how you always get him on the floor I'm not sure right does that make sense yeah, like well, I think he, he's uh, the guy at the end of the night like it's not the it's the whatever the opposite would the opposite would be that every night's finished you're like gosh we should have given niang a few more. like right oh we should have got like i think that's who he is not the thank goodness we didn't have to play him break last yeah season.
3: no i i didn't mean to imply that uh more just that i i would see those other guys as being ahead of him in he, the rotation there's just not that su- many minutes to go he's around.
0: subtly interesting so he's you know has seen seemingly- me yeah, he, he,
3: does, he doesn't like me very much why not uh because i uh he's like the nicest said- guy ever so the fact well well I know well so statement. on the on the pod after they acquired mike conley i said all right you know this this could is probably gonna mean that Derek favors uh they're gonna move on from him and they're gonna have some extra space and they'll probably look to sign a a starting four man because i'm not sure that that's george yang and he uh someone told him that i said that and he tweeted at me that i was uh i was good motivation for him and then of course they sent two uh, power forwards ahead of him but uh no i think he's i I mean i i uh i've become a believer in him i was not in favor of the jazz giving him a guaranteed contract two years ago and he certainly has uh outperformed that so i mean i think yeah and he earned it some time just with his ability to even think about hitting a shot in that houston series no i think he can be a, a solid backup power forward
0: i don't want but, to well, know, i don't want yeah. to overplay this right like yeah it's not final from february one on for him last year okay only 11 minutes a night shot 54 percent from the field 45 percent from three
3: yeah i mean if you can if you can hit shots in this league and bang around enough as a power forward and play some health defense which he can and not screw up like you could be a rotation player this
0: is the other thing i think that people forget like when we talk about these rotation things the rotation lasts for about like 14 games and then the average player in the nba misses 11 games a season so when you start having that that math start on your roster of your nine or ten rotation guys well inevitably your 11th guy and 12th guy and 13th guy are always playing
3: yeah that that seems pretty obvious here so ed davis looking like probably the backup center uh is is quitting go let him offensive rebound
0: uh i think so I, I actually quinn is a believer in the offensive rebound as much as the jazz and if you watch the jazz in key moments um they have done it quinn's not a quinn's not a uh popovich Don, doc rivers don't offensive rebound coach yeah um
3: I, I was always disappointed with their offensive rebounding with rudy and favors on the floor I, I felt like that could have been better uh at times
0: i thought it was half decent
3: maybe maybe i'm i mean i i thought it could have been like dominating and I thought it was just, you know, well, there enough, maybe maybe I'm
0: misremembering. There's enough but... miss, miss shots with that group that you probably... <laughs> okay, so <sorry. sighs> Yeah. Uh, uh, uh... Offensive rebounding was 28% with that team on the floor, 82nd percentile. I mean...
3: Oh, all right. I well, I take it back then.
0: More than the problem was that the overall offense was... I mean, they turned the ball over so much with that group. When they had their two big... I mean, all their turnover numbers that you everyone talks about, or I don't know if everyone talks about, but their turnovers have always been high. If you actually look at their turnovers numbers there, it's like they were close to 16%. When they had favors and Gobert on the floor, and the minute you took one of them off the floor, your turn their turnover numbers got back down to kind of where the rest of the league were. Uh, with favor, uh, they were back at 14.8% with Gobert and a little lower with favors. Not great, but when you pass the ball and hand it off and do all the stuff they do, you're going to turn it over. It was just very high when the two of them.
3: You've spoken highly of Mie Oni's uh, potential to actually get some run this year. Uh, why is that?
0: Because of the 11%, the 11 games, every player I was just talking about. And I think. Yeah. Um, one of the things I've learned from talking to some coaches around the league that I thought was really interesting is if you want to get a rookie to play, they need to be able to play multiple positions. So if you're Tony Bradley, the only way Tony Bradley could have ever played for the Utah Jazz was that Derek Favors and Rudy Gobert had to get hurt, right? Well, that's a pretty tough road. Mia One could probably play, if Emmanuel Moody gets hurt, you could probably play Mia One. If Dante Exum can't go and you need, you probably could play Mia One. If, um, I'm not gonna mention any of the main guys getting hurt because somebody will blame it on me. But right, like so he could probably play the some minutes in any of the three guard spots. If necessary, it's pretty fast for him right now, right? Like that's a, it's a yeah. pretty big jump from playing Princeton.
3: Yeah. F- 57th overall pick, right? Is, a, is that, uh, have right. that right?
0: Yeah. So, I mean, but I think that that's why. So that's why I think he could get a little bit of run is just that it, he's, I think his, he's, and I thought some of the things they did with him in summer league were interesting. They, they put the ball in his hands and let him play. He came in as a defensive stopper at times. So out of the regular rotation guys, which what are there 11 rotation guys on the jet? I think you'd agree. Yeah. Um. You know, with Niang and Exum trying to figure out how they fit, and then I think he's twelfth. And so, just by the time you start to play the numbers game, I think he ends up getting some time before the year's over.
3: Yeah, and they've had a lot of success developing guys. I mean, Royce O'Neal, right there uh, on the roster, is somewhat of a similar profile to him, maybe. Although I think uh, oni is a, a better shooter at this point in time than uh, than O'Neal was. I mean, he's got some athleticism. I thought he had some shooting ability, so he's intriguing. I thought he had a nice summer league. Um.
0: Yeah, I'm not calling like yeah. all rookie or like not gonna beat any he's not beating any eleven guys out. I just think he's gonna get time and he's gonna be able to, he'll be fine. And then if he's fine, then he's kind of sort of working his way and forcing you into the into the rotation.
3: So this'll be an interesting one if if we haven't hit on it yet. Uh what is something that you feel strongly about? Of this team being around them every day that uh, you feel is contrary to what uh, some national people whether it's me or or uh you know even more kind of ten thousand foot type of guys uh have in mind what, what is uh, something that you kind of disagree on in the national storylines about this team
0: i mean the only one i think i'm totally disagree with is the idea that donovan had a disappointing second season like i just yeah i just think no i thought he was right
3: about where he was supposed to be yeah. by the end
0: i mean most like most players who have you know the players have great second years are De'Aaron Fox. Because they were awful their first year, right?
3: Yeah. No, I mean, and it will be interesting to see with the 2018 rookies, you know, Trey Young, Luka Doncic, uh, how they fare uh, as well. I mean, I think a lot of those guys, Ben Simmons, uh, there was a thought too that he was kind of had stagnated a little bit. Uh, so so um, that's probably yeah. the
0: only one. Um... I feel like this team is pretty well known. I think Quinn Snyder's brilliance is there. Uh, they're The only other one I would say is that they're really the moneyball team in the league. Them and Milwaukee are doing things uh, systematically that are very different than, uh, and, and smarter than the rest of the league in some areas that I think are why they're winning games. Um, I, I, what I don't know about last year's team to, still to this day, part of, and, and part of me really thinks that might have been a 40-win team that played the game in such a correct fashion that they won 50. Um, and then the question... question... Question is, what happens if a fifty-win team is playing the game in the correct fashion? And I don't, you know, we're gonna that—that's what I think we're about to find out. There, there is a. This gets me overly optimistic about this team. There's a a feeling to me that there's a chance this team is Atlanta or Milwaukee of the last, you know, kind of that type of team last
3: well it's so interesting looking at them because uh, the math these last couple of years have liked them you know they've kind of underperformed their point differential a little bit but you know going in, there's an argument these last couple of years going into uh, the playoffs that they're you know third best team in the west fourth best team in the west uh you know playing as well as everyone uh, down the end uh you look at the number of three pointers that they generate and you say hey if we just throw in you know joe ingles now taking more catch and shoots and uh conley and mitchell taking catch and shoots and Bogdanovich great catch and shooter uh you're going to be playing with a, a four out style all the time now which has been such an effective line for them if you extrapolate all that out to what this team could be in theory like it's very very exciting right but yet there's still a feeling of looking at this team where they don't have a superstar at least not yet on the perimeter that you know really will go get you a bucket and you know that they don't have like that wing big wing superstar that's really been the hallmark of some of the best teams so uh, and a lot of gobert's contributions still many would argue are underrated
0: uh, but who would might argue say, such yeah. a thing um, You've brought up two great points there that have been my yeah. main talking points about this team for the entire year. So I will reiterate them. Um, but I don't know if this Well, where ever, do you think I got them? I don't, know if, <laughs> I, yeah, I don't know if you ever feel this way, but I'm somewhat tired of hearing myself say them. At this point, it's probably the moment you should keep saying them. So what I think the brilliance of this team and the way Justin Zanuck and Dennis Lindsay put it together is the key to the season is whether Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert get better. Like, that's great. Like, when, you're, when your key to your season is that your two best players have to be great you have a chance to be great so that's the number one thing to me right because i think we know who boyan is i think we know who jeff green is i think we know who ed davis is yeah
3: i'm a little skeptical about Boyan. i mean he was so far above his career norms last year not
0: really not really no like if you well, it depends whether you buy qsq so qsq which is the second spectrum stat about uh quantified shot quality which gets into whether or not a player um you know the shots basically that that player's getting how how does he perform on those shots? And so the thing about Boyan last year, Boyan last year, is that his QSQ was um, five, he was 5.4 percentage points better than, um, what an average player would have been with those same shots. Okay. So 5.4%. Let me, give me one second and let me run the numbers for 17, 18 season. And he was 4.7. So that begins to lead you to believe. And it's the same thing if you go one more year. So what that's beginning to get you to believe at least in my opinion, is that he got more opportunity, but I, I'm not sure that he was actually that much better. Um, if that, and his, you know, his career. I believe he's a two point nine. So he's certainly gotten a little bit better. But there's a three year trend here of him far outperforming the ability. His shot qual, his shot effectiveness is way above his shot quality. I just think he's a great shooter, and I think he's misunderstood. Like, yeah, if you, I don't think that part. If is If you going look anywhere. at the way he plays, he's stunningly similar to like a not quite as often because Clay Thompson's absurd, but he's in the top ten of guys coming off screens for shots. I mean, Alan Crab, Landry Shamit clay thompson more than jj reddick last year kyle corver like those players are the players that have similar offensive compositions to him and the other one i really like about him if you dig into him i did this on locked on jazz on on the 24th so therefore i'm top of this is that he, you know he goes and gets seven or eight field goals a game he gets one or two in a fast break he gets one on a post up he gets one on a catch and shoot he gets one on a drive like he just does it all in different ways and he does it all in different spots on the floor
3: yeah pretty good transition guy too he's Got that those hard drives to, to his right hand which again i think quinn can really set him up there teams really started playing him towards that once he became the focal point of the pacers offense after two or three weeks with the Depot going down so yeah i, I mean i think he, he could be a, a pretty valuable player it's just when a guy has a career year at 29 you just you wonder a little bit um and i think especially defensively you know he could be poised to take a, a little bit of a step back but you know i think he's definitely going to contribute to be sure um let's see here what else i want to ask you all right what do you see as like the big strengths of this team if any that we haven't discussed yet
0: I mean, the question is whether they can still be elite defense. That's going to be. By the way, yeah. back to what you were just talking about before we got, I got derailed. The, the other, the question you brought up in there that I think is the other questions is the Jazz had, you know, the best shot quality of any team in the league and they just didn't make any. Like Rubio was the second yeah. worst point guard shot quality in, in QS, in his QSQ, which is that same stat we've been talking about where compared to what an average player would have done, what he performed. Jay Crowd was second worst, favors, it's one of the least good. Um, you know, in and were those shots open because of Quinn Snyder's system or were 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 those shots open because they were being taken by Ricky Rubio, Jay Crowder, and Derek Favors, and so no one needed to guard those players? I don't know the answer to that question. It's probably unfair to say that about Rubio and Crowder, but I'm not. we'll find out on the system. I mean, Joe Ingles has a pretty good shot quality without a lot of other shooters around him. Leads you to believe that he should be able to get good shots, but back to what you were talking about before. That's that's the real question. If Quinn Snyder's offensive system has been the reason these guys are getting these looks, oh boy, then this team is going to be something else.
3: Yeah, and if they were getting those looks because they weren't as good as shooters, then yeah, but then you know that'll open things up in theory for gobert conley uh, and mitchell what do you uh, do on a conley defense?
0: pick and roll working right to left so he's got his left hand with joe ingles in the near side or Boyan is Boyan is in the near side corner and joe ingles in the far corner so each of them are at their plus 50 percent corner and you have donovan lifted weak side how do you defend it
3: yeah i mean you probably would have to uh you know d- down two and and uh leave gobert's man back at the rim and give up the floater to conley that's probably your uh your hope there yeah
0: i mean you'd love to, um, right. but it's
3: gonna be hard to guard i i agree with you um let's see what else pops out here as, as a strength um yeah i mean the pick and roll play we talked about that obviously spot shooting uh i think all that uh do you think they'll be good I mean, good. do you
0: think they'll be as good defensively i was stunned pelton's defensive rating still had them really good like had the best in the west do you think they're where do you think they rank defensively this year
3: no i don't believe they will be as good defensively uh, for a number of reasons i mean n- number one uh you know the favors the. loss of favorites i think is big both the minutes that he played with gobert and then also he's really one of the better defensive backup centers uh, as well you know i think from him to ed davis is a little bit of a step down uh not that i think ed davis is a good sign he's a good player uh but and he had a really good rpm defensively last year but i thought that was a little bit of uh a- a little bit just small sample size theater there uh, and that they were so bad with Jared Allen on the floor. But, you know, I think Ed Davis would be good, but I thought Eric, Derek Favors made so many strides these last two, three years defensively himself. Um, so I, I think that those are the reasons that I could see them taking a, a significant step can, back can, and then just I age just, as well. I, yeah. I
0: think you're right, but let me just play devil's advocate with you and tell me what you think of this. And, and okay. I think this, and I'm going to shoot my own theory uh, before, it, before I really throw it out there because I think the only reason this is flawed is it maybe because... It's against all backup minutes, but if you look at the defensive rating for the last three seasons when Gobert's on the floor and Favors is off, in 16-17 it's a 104.6, so that was in the 87th percentile. In 17-18, when Favors is off and Gobert is on, it's in the it's a 10 it's a 97 96 percentile, I believe, Um, at 99.9. And last year, when Favors had his best defensive year, even when he was off, they were still ranked up in the in the top i think high 88 percentile overall uh 91st percentile at 105.4 so they have shown over the last three years that just go bear on the floor is still a pretty elite defensive team
3: yeah i i see more of the of the uh of the problem when it Gobert is off the floor and he doesn't have favors backing up. I think they'll still be pretty good. I mean, I, I'm interested to see again of like what's really going to happen when, you know, at the end of games, you got to guard some of those bigger wings and who the, who that's going to be. Uh, And, you know, is having, you know, can someone like Bogdanovich get that done when he's got an elite guy in Gobert? behind him i mean i think one thing that is going to help utah is that you don't have this team anymore that has just like the incredible shooting of golden state or even you know houston i think with russell westbrook on the floor now there's a place to help off a little bit more so most of these teams they're going to be going against are going to be playing bigs they're not going to be spacing the floor like crazy you Now i think gobert uh in the playoffs can be more effective not that he wasn't effective uh in previous years but i think just generally there's going to be more guys for him to guard uh at the end of games uh, than there have been with more teams kind of going back to more of a traditional look
0: yeah I mean, Marcus Gasol and Karl Anthony Towns have been the guys that have been the nemesis. I think that's when you're going to miss Favors is matchups where you could put Gobert and Taj Gibson because Car- and have Derek Favors guard Karl Anthony Towns, and so then yeah. And, but there aren't that many of them. I mean, Den. I guess Dallas will be an interesting matchup. I guess, you, but he guards Dwight Powell, right? Until they put Kristaps as center, and then then that will be yeah. tough.
3: Yeah, no. I mean, it seems like Dallas. Uh, if he has to play, if they play Porzingis at center, that'll be. Uh, but you know, Dallas won't be in the playoffs probably, or at least won't be matching up with Utah. So yeah, maybe they could, but seems unlikely. Um, any weaknesses uh, that uh, pop out to you that we haven't talked about yet?
0: Oh, I think there's three. I think age could be an issue, um, yeah,
3: and, or injury history from Conley too. I because yep. you know he's missed basically two of the last three years and had an unbelievable season. Or or, or, or no, I'm sorry, he's no, missed two of the last four I mean, years. I,
0: I can't figure out what I really think on the injury issue, of Mike Conley. Right, so he had a injury plagued season where he played 12 games, and then he had a 56, but all the others have been 70 plus. I mean, I think it's five of the other six or five of the seven or 70 plus so we'll yeah. see uh,
3: i mean the concern is just the heel and the achilles you know it's yeah. been recurring issues in that area or just
0: being a 32 year old point guard right um yeah so i think age um what i talked about earlier i think there's a lot of giving that has to be done out of this um uh, i think that's that's an issue um
3: i've got one for you and then i think uh, you know yeah. either
0: dante axum or emmanuel Mudiay has to be good
3: i think yeah
0: maybe not but yeah because yeah, like they're not going
3: to want to play conley more than 30 minutes a game in the regular right. season
0: But I mean Um, if if Conley misses Donovan starting a point guard, right?
3: I mean, they really have tried everything they could to not do that, but they've got so many other guys now. It does seem, I mean, that's what I would do.
0: I mean, the noticeable thing to me about this team that's just so different is they have five guys in the top 60 players in the M. It just means you always have two really good players on the floor.
3: So the, those being Mitchell, Conley, Gobert, and... Ingles and Bogdanovich. Yeah, I'd have to really go through it. I never really do much ranking beyond like the top 20 or so. Uh, those guys don't scream top 60 guys although certainly guys who can shoot and defend yeah you know, uh yeah you know, I would buy Ingles as an underrated guy top 60 might be pushing it a little bit for me but both uh, S- I, and I would have to really sit
0: ESPN had him right there so
3: huh. all right uh I I do disagree with those rankings uh, on occasion um although I have contributed to ESPN I'll tell you what past.
0: you go look it's a lot easier to say someone's not a top 60 player than find me the 40 players you think that like does that make sense like you say he's a not yeah. a top 60 player and then I go tell you who 60 through 80 are on the list, and you'll be like, yeah, he's a top 60. Like it's yeah, stunning no, that, that might be true. Well. I
3: haven't looked at it as I said, um, but I, I have a weakness for you. Uh, transition. I don't. I don't think this team is really going to be that good in transition. They don't really have anyone who pushes the ball. Uh, I
0: think. I mean, I think that's you know, I, I think there's a bigger ask on Mike Conley that's being talked about, right? He's got to change the way he plays a little bit. Like he's yeah, he's not played with really good players before, so that's going to be a different thing to him. So uh, somewhat, you're. I mean, the best transition player on this team is Bogdanovich. I'm
3: really interested to see if. Not only in transition, but just in the half court, they're gonna play faster, right? They love all these passes, they love all these pick and rolls. Mike Conley, for years, Memphis has been one of the slowest paced teams offensively as well. The Jazz who are always among the league leaders i guess if you want to say leaders of most shots in the last uh seven seconds or whatever it is uh, of the shot clock so is that going to change this year because they have more options or are they going to kind of sink into that and and you know if you're not getting easy points in transition you could be really effective in the half court i mean dallas was like this last year we were really effective in the half court but yet your overall production is a little bit more middling because you're still just not getting as many easy points uh, in transition.
0: So their only issue from that standpoint is zero to four. They're stunningly yeah. good four to seven on the Shackle. So zero to four, the Jazz are bad, just like everybody else. They shoot 39% effective field goal percentage and it's bad. And um, they did it. They were below. They didn't do it as much as everyone thinks they did last year. They did it 8.3%, which is about right at the league average. So, um, but if you go to the other stuff like four to seven, where they suddenly have their drive and kick game going they're at 53.2 percent effective field goal percentage and that's exactly what they are from seven to 15 they're at 54.7 so they're they're really their only problem is getting in the final four seconds of the shot clock um i agree with you that you know they could they need to they need a one possession a quarter more between um where they get out and run that's and i think they know that and they're trying to find a way to be able to do it um and with a good defensive rebounding you should be able to do it royce o'neill's pretty good in transition it might be another argument of why you play royce o'neill uh with that opening unit, as you try to get them out and go a little bit, um, so. But I, I, I think that's fair. And I, I actually, the other one I would talk about is whether the new um, transition rules about fouling are going to change them because the Jazz were the number one oh, yeah. team in the league at fouling the fast break.
3: Yeah, Eurofiles, falls, Quinn
0: Yeah, I mean that's that's a huge part of why the because there, there's probably not a bigger discrepancy in the league than a t- transition opportunity becoming a half court defense against Rudy Gobert, and so that's a if that if that lead rule changes those fouls that'll be a big impact on them defensively
3: well i sure hope it does for all of our uh, all of our watching I would, the, I the would, overall as good of, a of the viewer,
0: game i may or may not agree with you as a employee <laughs> of the utah jazz i tell you
3: what. uh all right I know I'm never gonna nail you down for a predicted number of wins here. I mean, but whatever you whatever you're comfortable talking about just in terms of projecting this team's performance this year that, that you think is most likely, take it take it
0: away. Well, I think I said it earlier. If they can be the stop top level, top five defensive team again, I think they could be the number one seed. Um I think the West is fascinating. I, I if you were to ask me who the number one seeds were gonna be, my I have three teams that I think are gonna be a number one seed. I think it's either Houston, Denver, or Utah. Um and yet in the playoffs, there's an argument that maybe the Clippers and the Lakers are the best teams. Uh, and by the way, by saying that, I'm, all, I'm also implying that I think that there's a chance that the Clippers or Lakers end up not starting the first round on home court. Um, I think the Rockets are going to be really great. I think James Harden um, is as good as any offensive player we've ever seen in the league that's not seven feet tall. I know that Michael Jordan was not seven feet tall when I make that comment. I'm aware I'm saying um, I just don't think we've seen an offensive player at that level. Steph Curry would be the, the next closest, frankly. Um, so I think there's something, I think he's just that special and i think russ will be better with mike d'antoni than he was in oklahoma city with some floor spacing so i think houston could be very very good again um i think denver's very very good though i have some minor theories of where i'm not sure they'll jump as i think they'll be better than they were a year ago i'm just not sure their win total is going to be that much bigger than it was a year ago. yeah
3: they're a little lucky last year
0: right um and i thought starting the way they did but i think gary harris will be much better than he was last year and so they'll be much better um so we'll see i I think that on the other end there's a chance the jazz are just the 10th best offense and the 10th best defense and then and then they're just a really good team
3: yeah expected one loss last year was 54 and 28 which was fourth best uh, in the nba they have underperformed that point differential i think the last two years uh, a little bit i'm not sure i'm going to say that that is uh something that's going to continue it rarely does uh but they certainly have had just completely where they'll just completely wax bad teams and then you know they We'll have some close losses, and I don't know whether that's just bad luck or whether there's something actually uh, about this team, and it's a different team as well. I'm going to predict 52 wins for this group. Uh, Part of that is I worry about Conley, both in terms of the minutes... And uh, uh, the health, potentially missing games, whether it's load management or injuries. Um, they also had a, a very, very healthy year last year. You know, Gobert and Mitchell, I don't think, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, hardly missed any games last year. So you, you might see a little bit uh, there. So I'll, I'll go with 52 with the but I think you know I I like their floor to be relatively close to that in the, in the high 40s and you know that ceiling I could see them getting to 60
0: potentially with these guys. I mean if all goes right I think that's you know their top 5 offensive team then 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 they get pretty good. We we'll uh, hey the NBA's nuts, right? I got about 8 teams that I'm going to be downloading all their games in the first week of the season to watch them just to see what's going on and Utah would be one of them if I wasn't already seeing them.
3: Yeah, I, I can't wait to see what Mike Conley looks like uh for these guys um yeah and then defensively yeah you know i'm uh i could see them just being average again uh, or i'm sorry on offense i could see them just being average again like i mean they're 15 how do you last see that year.
0: help me out on that one i don't see that at all
3: uh, because i just i i don't think that they they still don't have that number one ridiculous guy yet if mitchell is just the same kind of guy that he's been i mean and if he's taking the same shots that he's always taken and he's got 54 okay, percent true shooting how, or, how
0: could that like all right. So, I mean, he played with Ricky Rubio, Jay Crowder, and Derek Favors the last yeah.
3: I mean, I'm not saying it will happen. I'm saying it could happen.
0: Well, I mean, I don't even know if I think it could happen. So, sometimes guys just don't really get much better. I, I or they and suffer I nagging injuries. Yeah. Or, I mean, you know. I don't generally actually believe a great deal that teammates have a huge impact. I think, for, yeah. um, in this case, I think progression does. It's um, The other one that, where I'm just surprised that you're saying that is... If we go and look at catch-and-shoot players in the NBA, and I haven't done this in a while, but I think they now have four of the top 40 catch-and-shoot guys in the league
3: yeah i mean and maybe they just aren't able to get those guys open uh, as much uh, as they would have hoped or or they fall off a little bit too i mean there are some guys who could have some age regression um right, none of, yeah none that's of, this is a worst case none scenario of those issues
0: here, so. are my concerns you may turn out to be yeah. right but none of those hit my concern line no
3: and i'm not that concerned either i'm just trying to project if it does go wrong for them you know i mean the, they could be about what they were last year I mean, i'm i'm with uh mean regression and just simply uh, the the fact that they did that last year i don't think it's outside of the realm of possibility even even if they have gotten better and then of course you know there again could be you know backup point guard could be a major problem and you do have some guys that, the if you just look at the three major on ball creators on this team between conley mitchell and Moody, you put all those guys together and they're probably a little they're probably about average true shooting maybe a little bit below that and so if teams can force more shots into those guys hands and they can't be more efficient with the extra space you know that that's kind of how i could see it happening again i i uh i do expect them to be much improved though
0: yeah I, it, it will and the other angle that I just don't know that I've heard enough out of people because the top teams are so good. But, you know, the bottom teams are really good, too. So you just may not win as many.
3: Yeah. I mean, now there's always the East.
0: Sure. I mean, you're going to and, and, have and they to do if you're going to win the West, you're going to have to go. Twenty six and four, yeah, against the East.
3: Yeah, I think that's. Uh, it depends what you can do against the West too, I guess. But yeah, that's. uh It's th- those are going to be, you know, they can, and, and they've had like a few stinkers now and again on the road against some of these East teams that th- they need to clean up not a true. little bit. No,
0: they actually, they actually numbers wise just have not beaten very. Good.
3: <laughs> I I guess my memory was faulty there. No, then. but I mean See? really,
0: I mean it's, I'm not trying to like if you go look at it there. No, nah,
3: I mean I I deserve to be corrected if I'm wrong. They
0: they actually like last year. Like kind of the point that I made to open the show on like hey even if they had made the conference finals when you go 20 and 23 against above 500 teams maybe it's time right so they were 30 and 9 last year against below 500 teams
3: yeah that's about as good as you could they expect. had the
0: worst record of any of the playoff teams other than the tied with the clipper in the Western conference against above 500 so they just weren't they they just weren't good enough like the way that roster was constructed they just weren't good enough the year before they were 26 and 20 24 so they were you know 22 and 10 against below 500s they just they feasted up
3: Yeah I guess I'm actually going through I'm not really finding any of those games so my my memory did fail me I'm uh
0: The year before that by the available. way they were, this
3: is they, why we have a local expert The on.
0: Gordon Hayward uh team that made the playoffs was 15 and 22 against above 500 teams and 36 and 9 against below 5 No if there's a signature to Quinn Snyder's team it's that they play hard every night that'll be di- like but on the other end, and I don't mean this well I guess it is rude I mean it exactly it is. if Ricky Rubio and Jay Crowder don't play hard they don't play in the league right like they play hard because that's their that's their skill the Jazz now have actually players that are really skilled I think it'll be interesting to see if they play as hard
3: yeah I, I just scrolled through and they didn't have a bad loss on the road to an East team the entire year so that was a, that was one of the dumbest things I've actually ever said on the show uh, I think you know what, what I'm remembering out,
0: except for you take out all my good knowledge so I'd rather if you left it
3: nah I, you know I wouldn't do that okay. um, alright I think we can wrap up here thanks so much for for coming on uh, despite the fact that we can never pin you down for a prediction, the the rest of the stuff is too good. We I got, went out we pretty far.
0: At it. I went out pretty far. I said the I, same ha-
3: thing. I had written down in my spreadsheet from last year fifty five ish uh, that you I somehow got you to even like mention a number. Well,
0: I feel like <laughs> I went pretty like I, I'm going to get a lot of heat for saying if the defense is top five that we're the number one seed. Like I'll hear about
3: it. Yeah, I guess that's true. I, but I, I mean, I agree with you. I think it it could easily happen. And and I, don't know, I, I think what do you think they're most likely to rank offense like i i kind of see him more in like the 10 9 type of range
0: i mean we could bore the heck out of people a second here if you want to or you can always edit out That's i don't know it's it, got all edi- all the what, what is what is this
3: editing this you keep talking right, about so i I've, I've really the just
0: warriors were number one are they still no so, no definitely not okay the rockets were number two are they still with russ yeah i think they're probably still top five i think portland will be the number one offense in the nba because they got rid of two awful offensive players. No one's talking.
3: Uh, no, uh, Richard and I just talked about
0: no, that. I'm actually. pretty... I'm actually... I got to run my numbers. I'm pretty bullish on the Blazers, actually. The Bucks will be top five still? I would imagine. Toronto will not, right? Yeah. San Antonio still going to shoot lights out? No. Nah. Okay, Denver still top 10?
3: Yeah, I think so. I think they could even maybe move into the... Okay, I agree. ...into the top five as well.
0: Uh, Philadelphia?
3: Yeah. No, I mean, Boston could could really be pretty good.
0: Yeah. So, I mean, are they seventh defend, offensively this year?
3: Yeah, I mean, and, and it's more... It's more might... kind of a range, though. You know, I kind of see, you know, from it's not necessarily you're in the top five. Like, I don't think they have that top five upside to me. Where, And, you know, they might be seventh, but they'll be right around the same as, you so know, six I, through I would 11. point
0: out if they're two points per 100 possessions better, which is a lot, but they – but Favors and Gobert were, like, in the 11th percentile offensively for 12 minutes an hour. Yeah. Uh,
3: Warriors could still be top five, by the way.
0: Okay. So if the Jazz get two points better, they're sixth best in the NBA. All right. You want my most bullish comment about the Utah Jazz?
3: <laughs> that's a great way to end it. Yeah.
0: If the Jazz get two points better offensively per hundred possession, which feels like they really should, they are the sixth best offensive. If they get two points less good defensively, which maybe or maybe they are, maybe they feels like they should, they're the sixth best defensive.
3: Yeah. So that's right, kind of in that mid fifties type of area. uh So yeah, I mean, and, and I may be too low on them to say fifty two. I just I can't. It's just really hard for me, and I, I generally have done pretty well with this that a group. That hasn't, I mean, you're probably going the right way predicting like predicting every team to be below 55 wins especially this year is probably a, a good way to go and then especially for a group that hasn't proven yet that you're really that level of elite 55 wins and above team i'm just not i can't go there with them yet
0: i think you're underselling the head coach i think he's the best maybe by maybe by emerging
3: Well, wow. all right that's uh that's more than we have time to get into here we'll, well i'm gonna remember that for the next time uh we talk
0: all right sounds good
3: uh and and uh maybe maybe when we do uh our coach rankings which danny and i'll probably do this year all right thanks again for coming on this was uh fantastic and obviously uh locked on jazz and the whole uh locked on podcast network is a uh, must listening number of our hope of their hosts joining us uh, uh as well as david so uh th- please listen to that uh, to get your daily jazz fix or if anything major happens
0: your favorite jazz, team uh, has a podcast just search locked on your favorite team or tell your smart device to play podcast locked on all
3: right we'll <laughs> uh be right back after this You guys know Postmates is one of my favorite sponsors of ours because I used it long before they were a sponsor. I started using them back in 2014. It's just perfect during the fall when you want to sit around. Maybe you went out the night before and you want to sit in front of the TV on Sunday night or Sunday afternoon and watch football the entire day. Postmates means you don't have to take a trip to the store. Anything you're craving, they can deliver it within an hour. We always get from Wise Sons. a great deli in San Francisco via Postmates. And it's not just food, groceries, alcohol, any retailer. Postmates can deliver it within the hour, 24 hours a day, 365 days a year. They're the largest on-demand network in the U.S. They offer delivery from all the restaurants, grocery stores, convenience stores, traditional retailers you can possibly need. Download their app for Apple or Android for free. Browse local restaurants, businesses. You can track your delivery in real time. They even have a little icon indicating what sort of transportation your delivery person is using. And for a limited time, Postmates is giving our listeners $100 towards their delivery freeze. $100 of free delivery credit during your first seven days. So basically you're paying no delivery fees for your first 7 days unless you incur $100 on which would mean you're uh, you're using quite a bit of Postmates if you do that. Don't forget the way to do that is with your code CAPSPACE. Easy remarks we talk about it all the time here on the program. That's code CAPSPACE for $100 of delivery credit for your first 7 days when you download the Postmates app. Anything you need, anytime you need it, Postmate it. Download Postmates and save with that CAPSPACE code and let them know that you came from us all right you know him as perhaps the best nba salary cap voice on twitter i, I happen to think he is uh personally and so uh we'll talk to him a little bit about the- about that but also uh, a veteran miami heat watcher as well uh, albert namad how you doing man
2: i'm doing well thank you for having me
3: yeah great to have you on and so this is one of the more interesting cba focused sagas that i wanted to talk to you about here before we turn to the heat we haven't had a chance to talk about it yet on the program and that is the saga of what happened with Nene. basically they wanted to have a contract that was only guaranteed for the minimum, so they could avoid the luxury tax. Yet, in theory, could provide salary fodder to trade to another team. That then, that team was still wouldn't be on the hook for the full amount of the salary. But Houston, if they wanted to, could bring back a player along the lines of, say, an Andre Iguodala by using uh, Nene's salary. So they gave him these uh, what were considered likely bonuses, which means his cap number goes up to uh, about ten million. It would have been in the original contract construction. Uh, But those bonuses were, in theory, supposed to be under team control, so he would never actually see them. And then the contract got not voided by the league, but modified to basically just be the minimum. So uh, what stuck out to you about uh, this saga, and uh, do you think it was fair what ended up happening?
2: So what stuck out to me was the creativity of the Rockets. They they created a contract where only, essentially, they had to... Um, offer a base salary equal to his minimum, which is exactly what they did, and they guaranteed that. And the rest of the contract, $7.4 million in salary for the first year, was what's considered a likely bonus. That's a very creative structure because they tied those bonuses to two things. One, games played, and they can control that, like you said, and the other, 52 wins. So whether or not he played 50, 20, 30, 40, 50 games, as long as he's being traded to a team that didn't have 52 wins last year, it would be treated by the receiving team as a, essentially a $2.6 million contract. Contract, which if you do the math basically means that that a, a team that uh, is acquiring him is not acquiring a high salary but the Rockets have the potential to take back up to twelve point six million bucks so it created a, a, a huge opportunity for them the thing that got me about what they did was it was very creative and according to the literal interpretation of the CBA it was legal what got me was they did not contact uh, the league office to ask them about the structure yeah and you know if you come up with a creative alternative that's something that that I would always do I just reach out to the league office and say hey what do you think about this now some people are responding by saying well uh, the, the NBA would have turned you down and that may what very well have happened. Yeah. Th- and
3: that's a lot better outcome than what happened to them.
2: Exactly. So when people talk about the structure as they took a big risk um, with a potential for a big reward, well, my response to that is they didn't need to take a risk. They did, and it, and it came back to bite them. But overall, from a creativity standpoint alone, it was hugely creative because it had the potential to really get them uh, a significant asset back in return for almost nothing. So... I liked the structure. I didn't like how they executed the plan. And obviously, it didn't work out for them. And and they weren't treated very well as a result, but... To some extent, it was it was their own making and not in not reaching out to the league office. So I don't know how I feel about it that way.
3: Yeah, I mean we've seen uh, a structure once before like that. I mean a lot of people and me just in my head for a long time I was like oh fifteen because unlikely bonuses are limited to fifteen percent of the contract, but there isn't anything in there about what likely bonuses are limited to, and obviously it's with likely bonuses is what determines your cap amount and. Uh so we saw this with E Leon a, a few years ago but that was kind of more based on a way to just get him in there and if he made the team to make a, a, enough money that it would be worthwhile not necessarily to have him be as a trade piece with the Lakers I think it was uh 2016 uh offseason that they did that so yeah th- this was a very creative construction is it fair what the league office did to them because by the letter of the law this was a legal contract it seems like to me unless you disagree
2: so i'll answer that by saying uh, something that i pointed out on twitter that this wasn't the nba's determination this was an agreement between the nba and the N- nba players association so when you go to whether it was fair or not it was an agreement between both sides of the equation so did it did it treat um houston correctly no it, it, it essentially the ruling essentially take, took away all of the benefit of the structure and made it even worse than just simply signing a one year minimum salary contract because now his cap hit for the purposes of the tax remember he's got 2.6 million guaranteed and then 7.4 million dollars in bonuses which they can control so now he's effectively a contract that's sitting out there at 2.6 million they can't play in more than 10 games because the moment they do uh, they have the potential to, to trigger another $2.4 million in bonuses, and they're close to the tax. So they essentially have this $2.6 million cap hit sitting out there that would have been 1.6 if it was just a one-year minimum salary contract. I do think um, the most likely outcome, whether or not they had ruled this way, would be to have him traded as a salary dump. I think this became a sort of an opportunity to get back $12.6 million in salary. And that number, by the way, was interesting. They pegged his contract at $10 million total, including all of the bonuses. They could have picked any number. They could have picked up to yeah. the to the max. They could have picked thirty eight million bucks. I happen to think they picked this number with with the way in which they structured the bonuses, so that the league would view it preferably in the hopes that they would approve the 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 contract. Ultimately, they didn't. So they picked the number that wasn't enough for as in your example, Andre Iguodala. It wasn't even enough to acquire him. Yeah. Um, so um, I don't know where I was going with that, but anyway. Um, well, well, maybe maybe what we
3: could talk about too is it precisely how the contract was modified because the bonuses are still in there they just changed the bonuses right is it, is, they didn't change the bonuses
2: so, so let me just run through it really quickly a $2. Okay, $2.
3: Yeah. six million million dollar
2: guaranteed base salary in the first year then three bonuses totaling to 7.4 million total 2.4 for playing 10 games plus 52 wins 2.5 that will take it to 5 if he gets there 5 yeah. million total another 2.5 for playing 25 games and 52 wins that'll take it to 7.5 and another 2.5 for getting to 40 games plus 52 wins that takes it to 10 even, plus another 10 for next season, which is completely non-guaranteed. They needed that second season because if it was a one-season one, one deal, then he could um, void any trade. He has right. no trade no trade provisions. So they structured it purely for trade purposes. And that just means, think about it, how it would work in reality. Um, Houston would be sending out uh, a contract which is worth $10 million, and the receiver would be taking back a contract which is worth $2.6 which gives Houston the right to, to take on 125% of what they're sending out plus 100, that's 12.6, and the receiver only takes back 2.6. So they can send out any amount of salary and only has to take back 2.6 in exchange. That creates a huge imbalance, which benefits both parties, which is so rare. I mean, you never yeah. have a situation like this. So, um and in the worst case scenario, at least they would get a, a huge trade exception, right? Um Houston by, by sending out this. So, okay, so take it in steps. One, they can acquire a very, very good player with all of the money they can take back, right? Uh, a player yep. making up to $12.6 million. Or they can say, okay, no player is worth $12.6 million um, because I'm so close to the tax right now, that's going to be hugely costly, and there isn't a player out there who's worth that. And then they can say, well, at least I have this guy who, even though he has a $10 million cap hit to me, is to another team only worth $2.6 million, so I can dump him very easily and I can make it 0 and then save that 2.6 million against the tax. So it was really a two-pronged thing where they had the potential to get a lot of uh, a very quality player and if it didn't work out they could dump him for almost nothing. Now the, the NBA essentially in, uh, invalidated the first part of that. They have no benefit to his salary at all. Now it's it's weird. Now they have a player that they literally cannot play for more than 9 games for fear of of, of triggering one of those bonuses. So he's sitting there on the books at 2.6 million and they can't play him for more than 9 games until the playoffs comes around at which point he could be theoretically a valuable contributor but um so with that kind of cap hit and with the with with the rockets depending upon clint think Papella's bonuses already over the luxury tax i suspect that come trade that line he's going to be they're going to try to dump him in order to, to to get the savings
3: yeah and so so but just to be clear so you so what the original structure is what did the league and the players association change it to
2: so they, they kept the contract the same it's okay. it's it's 2.6 million dollar base salary 7.4 million dollars likely bonuses so from their perspective it's 10 million dollars against the cap that has a lot of negative consequences for them once uh, once you're over the luxury Tax line, which technically speaking, even though it's only 2.6 million dollars, in reality it's 10.10.0 10. million on their on their cap on their cap sheet. Right. That puts them over the luxury tax, which means uh, there's there's more stringent trade matching rules for teams that are over the luxury tax. Number one, number two, they can't use the non-tax mid-level exception, which they probably weren't going to use anyway. But it does that. But what the league did is said, even though it's 10 million dollars cap it to you for purposes of trades. It's 2.6 from each team's perspective, so I it, see it's different for for yeah. how it sits on your cap sheet versus how you would use it in trade. It's a very unique situation. Uh, essentially, the league had two ways to approach this. One, they could have, they could have said, "I challenge the the structure of your bonuses." But the NBA can really only challenge an unlikely bonus that they feel should be likely, whereas the the players' association can challenge a likely bonus, right? And and and, and if they feel it should be unlikely, so they didn't use that. What they used, in my interpretation of the ruling, is the circumvention rules. They they essentially said Houston was trying to circumvent the spirit of the rules, and so they made this this creative approach. They came to agreement with the players' Association, association, whereby they can the cap hit remains the same but for purposes of the trade it's really treated as a minimum salary contract well i shouldn't say that it's treated as a 2.6 million dollar contract
3: yeah and i I think that makes sense to me because i don't think the players association would be too happy about a ton of these contracts being out there either of just that are just funny money let guys get traded more often just in kind of pure business transactions just for their salary and that's part of what the new cba in 2017 was designed to avoid as with the new rules around non guaranteed contracts. This is kind of a way around that. Uh, new restriction, and so I think that's part of why the league frowned upon this, even if you know it was technically legal yeah, at, at but, the time. Uh, at least, yeah.
2: I mean, the Rockets and fans are saying, "Well, you took the entire benefit of the contract out of it, and you made it a less beneficial contract than we would have otherwise gotten on a minimum, a one-year minimum sure. salary deal. That's not fair to us." And my my only response to that would be, "You have a point, number one, but number two, if you had any doubt as to the legitimacy of this contract, and when." I first read about it, I did, even before they made the ruling. So it, it would be reasonable to think that somebody would, would question it. You could have contacted the league directly before signing the contract and asked them about it. And if you didn't like what they had to say, you could have then contacted the Players Association. I mean, there's no there's there's no limits to what they could have done to, to figure out whether or not this would have gone through before actually executing the contract. They, they chose not to, and unfortunately, it backfired uh, against them.
3: Yeah, I mean, perhaps it was a gambit of, hey, this is technically legal. We're going to just do it. And League, we dare you to come through and change it when it's technically legal. And uh they did. You, you, you can't fault them for contract. the creativity. Yeah.
2: This was a super creative contract and that doesn't go away. And it was technically legal. It was an unfortunate uh ruling, which which sort of did them in.
3: All right. Well, let's, uh, that was really one of the more fascinating CBA sagas that we've had uh, the last uh, few years. So I was glad to have a chance to talk to you about it. Let's turn now to the Miami Heat, uh, and their 2018-19 season, uh, or I'm sorry, 19-20 season, I should say their 18-19 season was a, a bit of a disappointment. They were not able to make the playoffs, uh, finished at 39 and 43, 10th place in the east uh, when it was all done so they made uh, some major changes want to talk to you first about just what you thought of that sign and trade acquisition of jimmy butler with uh, josh richardson uh, going back to the Sixers. I know there's a bunch more folded into that, which we'll get to uh, as well. But that was kind of the the original component of that deal,
2: right? So I have a lot of thoughts on the Goran. Tr- uh, sorry, on the uh, Jimmy Butler uh, sort of sign and trade. Um, I like the acquisition. and the Heat needed a star. I, there's positive positives and negatives. To Jimmy Butler, but I the Heat needed a player. They uh, who was unquestionably the, the sort of lead star on the team. They got that in Jimmy Butler. I have. A lot of thoughts on how that trade came about and, you know, uh, we can get into that now, or we can get into that later. Yeah, now go for it. So a common misconception is, you know, originally they had they had structured the trade where, where Goran Dragic would be going to the to the Mavericks and Jimmy Butler would be going to the uh, to the Sixers in exchange for uh, sorry, and, um, and Josh Richardson would be going to the Sixers in exchange for Jimmy Butler, right? Yeah. So um, then there was this miscommunication with the Mavs, and the, and the Mavs thought that they were getting instead Kelly Olynyk. Um, whether or not that miscommunication. They also thought they were getting, um, Derek Jones, that pairing. Whether or not that miscommunication was in fact a miscommunication or what happened there, we don't know. But a lot of people are saying, you know, Heat fans, when I, when I have private conversations, they're saying it's okay. They fixed the situation. They got Jimmy Butler anyway by, by striking a deal with, with the Blazers. Well, no. That was hugely impactful and it has big lasting consequences on the heat summer uh heat's future so just think about what happened and what would have happened and and you'll be able to see it right yeah so so i guess let me just walk through it in steps step one when the dragic Dragic deal blew up the heat had to adjust instead of acquiring butler for dragits and richardson they got butler for leonard they got butler for uh they got butler and leonard for richardson Whiteside, and a first round pick right so because the first trade didn't go through they lost a first round pick and 3.4 million dollars cash and salary yeah. and so that's step number one step number two is the white side trade on its own had its own merit and of course you get ellie leonard with that too who's everybody in miami's falling in love with but um <laughs> um but, uh, she's awesome if you haven't watched her videos you have to watch her videos they're, they're, I, they're that,
3: so that's cool. uh My, myers leonard's wife i assume
2: yeah she's just the, it's just the coolest thing in the world she shoots with her left hand with her right hand i mean and in perfect form i mean they're amazing <laughs> videos anyway th- that was a, <laughs> a nice little benefit to that I, I learned of this new person who, who who is just awesome but anyway um getting back to the actual mechanics of the trade they traded uh, the, the deal for Whiteside for harkless and leonard makes sense in its own right for the heat so yeah. so whether or not they So, so if they had done, let's just view it in in step number two. Step number one is they do the, the Dallas deal. They, they, they send Drogic to Dallas, um, in exchange for, uh, send, sorry, send Drogic to Dallas and Richardson to, to the Sixers in exchange for Richards, in exchange for Butler. Then step two, they do the, the Whiteside deal. Send Whiteside to the, to the Blazers in exchange for Harkless and Leonard. That in and of itself saves another 4.3 million. So now yeah. you save 3.4 f- plus a first round pick in the first trade, 4.3 in the second trade. That's 7.7, maybe as much as 8.2 if Harkless doesn't get his $500,000 bonus for, for three-point shooting, which he probably won't, plus a first round pick. Okay, now you realize they're only $1.9 million away from being able to avoid that Ryan Anderson stretch, right? Um, so they stretched Ryan Ryan Anderson in the trade of uh, of Jimmy Butler. They had to create the cat space, and that creates a $5.2 yeah. million dead money and, cat and, charge. And,
3: and that... And that- because taking on Butler, uh, once you do that, your hard cap, they would have had to.
2: Yeah, that they to they, avoid the they hard were cap. taking on too much salary. They had to do that to dump to dump salary to be able to stay below the hard cap. But so if you do those two trades, all of a sudden you're seven point seven million dollars in savings. You only need one point nine to avoid the stretch, and you get to keep a first round pick. You got to think that Andy Ellisberg can save a mere one point one one point nine million dollars on a, on a subsequent trade, especially since because the Heat had a bunch of expiring contracts. It has six million dollars of cash. It has all kinds of. Uh, of tools to be able to save that very small amount. So think about what that miscommunication with Dallas actually cost the heat. $10 million of salary. A future first-round draft pick and a 5.2 million dollar dead money cap charge through 21-22, when the Heat could be a major player in free agency. They'll have about 40 million dollars that year. That is painful. So, but yeah, so all of that speaks to a miscommunication. Now, you might respond to that by saying, you know, it's interesting but irrelevant because Dallas was never going to do the dragage trade to begin with. So, you might be talking about this, but it was yeah. never, never reality. Well, my response to that is, I don't know what the Heat Heat was thinking. See, vision and creativity are very big things in. South Salary cap management the heat responded to the mad situation by finding the blazer situation but it makes you wonder whether Pat Riley and crew ever envisioned the possibilities of combining them both together like I'm describing here and if so if they tried to sweeten that Dallas deal to make the drug trade happen right because if they're getting all of those benefits ten million dollars of cash savings a future first-round pickback, and and no rhino stretch they could have offered some of that to Dallas as an enticement and just gotten the rest right so yeah. they had um avenues to maneuver around it so anyway the the, the basic point was not getting that dragett trade done now whether or not it's because they because there was a miscommunication whether or not because i don't know even if the heat yeah. offered to sweeten the deal i don't know whether they would have accepted and i don't know whether they sweetened it or not but um, the point was it was very very critical that, that they'd be able to trade Dragic to, to, to Dallas. And they had the ability to sweeten the deal. You know, if, if you take the, as I understand it, the heat were offering Dragic. To Dallas for nothing essentially, and he and, yeah. and and Dallas essentially wanted a Al- uh instead of Dragic, and they wanted as a sweetener, they wanted Derek Jones. If the Heat just offered Derek Jones and a first-round pick, would that be enough? I don't yeah. know the answer to that question. I don't know whether they offered that or not. You might say I'm crazy. You're going to offer them, you're going to offer them Dragic and a first-round pick. But look what they ended up doing. They ended yeah. up offering the Clippers a first-round pick to take on Mo Harkless, which is crazy, right? I yeah, mean,
3: but Mo's actually a good player. I think.
2: Yeah, he's a, he's a pretty good player on an expiring $11 million contract. So um, yeah. So anyway, they ended up paying a, a max contract to Jimmy Butler and taking on an extra $5 million cap hit every year for the next three years, including 21, 22 when they'll have, you know, 38 to $40 million of, of cap room and they really need it. And that was really costly because if they were just maybe the circumstances were a little bit different and I don't want to lay blame on anybody, they could have at least saved that Ryan Anderson stretch, let alone possibly a first round draft pick. So, was pretty costly how they structured it, but they got the player.
3: Yeah, they did. I mean, and I think it, once that Dragic trade fell through, you know, maybe they didn't realize how. Difficult it was going to be to make it happen once that trade fell through. And for Dallas, you know, you would think that those kind of sweeteners would be enough to take Dragovich, but they had their own plans. They ended up staying over the cap. They wouldn't not have been able to do that. Uh, I don't think if they had taken on Dragovich, maybe they could have actually. Maybe that trade exception was big enough that they could have. I, can't, I don't remember that right now, but uh, they no, and, well, but, they, yeah. they have
2: had. They, you're right. They they would have had to use cap space. I mean, they, they wouldn't yeah. be able to. Well, they could have taken him. You're right. They could have taken him with, with the with the trade exception. Um,
3: yeah, and then. Maybe maybe stated they still could have got Seth Curry if they had stayed over. so basically they would have been yeah, not they, getting Daylon right and they would have been getting Dragic for a year and said I mean I, I kind of like that deal for Dallas when it first came out but I'm uh, you know yeah, th- they had some other things they wanted to do
2: but it makes you wonder whether whether when when Dallas shot the trade down because of the miscommunication they thought they were getting a different remember Dallas ultimately did, was willing to do it for Olenek and Derek Jones it's not like they yeah. didn't want to do anything they, they, they there was just a miscommunication on the players right so it makes you wonder whether when Dallas refused the trade, and I don't. I don't know whether they did or didn't. Just to be clear, yeah, it makes you wonder whether the Heat um, moved on to the Blazers uh, situation and, and found the solution to the problem. It makes you wonder whether they stepped back and said, "Huh, these two trades make sense together, and if I combine them, the result would be just tremendous." Uh, instead of just saying one didn't work, here's the other. Rather than saying, "Let's see what happens if we combine them both," that could produce ten million dollars of cash savings, save us a future first round pick, and avoid a from having the rhino stretch you don't yes, know I, whether they thought that and whether because they thought <laughs> that they offered more but i realized i mean I, I i i never made this public yet i mean i'm doing it for the first time with you um yeah but because i realized it and i'm like why didn't they just think about doing these two things together because i find it hard to believe that dallas would not have accepted that trade if you made it a little bit sweeter if you offered something you know six million i don't know if they care about cash i no, i mean cash is not the, the 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 key point here but um they didn't have any Second round picks to offer but they had a first round pick i would be reluctant to offer it but if they offered that you know they still get the rhino they still get to avoid the rhino stretch and they yeah. still get 10 million dollars of savings so uh, there's any number of components they could have offered there to to, to make them to th- those two things happen together and, and really benefit the heat's future but for whatever reason and i don't know why they didn't do that
3: all right well let's shift now to uh the heat's present. uh with this group uh Goran Dragic remains on the team I think they're they actually really need him th- this year talk a little bit about what his year was like last year and you know do you think he can still contribute at a, a starting point guard level given you know he was kind of limping around with that knee brace at the end of the year he had some big games but he was kind of on a minute's limit he wasn't starting uh is he looking like the starter again going into this year and can he provide quality production
2: yeah so Goran Dragic had a down year last year and uh, when he was playing. And of course, like like you said, he was injured um, for a, for a, a significant part of it. And he's 33 years old coming into this season, so there's reason to believe, you know, that that his future is maybe not going to be as strong as his past has been. I think that the Heat will come into the season with him as a starter at point guard. I think um, he will get his chance at point guard. I, you know, the Heat have other options with regards to point guard. Is a very thin position for the Heat actually, but they have this sort of weird situation with Justice Winslow where they can use him as a point. Guard. I don't think they're going to start the season that way. I think they'll start the season with Drogic, the point guard and uh, and maybe even Dion Waiters as shooting guard uh, slash small four with Jimmy Butler. That's the way I think they'll start. But I think the transition ultimately is for, for the future is going to be Justice Winslow and Tyler Hero in those two positions. So yes, I, I do think that um, that he'll get Dragic will get his chance at, at point guard and, and and play significant minutes. I don't know how it will progress towards the trade deadline. I'm sure they're going to pursue various trade scenarios. And of course, they are reportedly still thinking about the Chris Paul situation and and, and certainly Jogic would be part of that if that happened. But um, yeah, uh, as long as the team remains as it is, he will get significant minutes. And in my guess, look, I don't even think the Heat knows what the starting rotations are. And one thing is clear from every past season, they always tinker with their rotations, right? It's never just one rotation throughout the season. They always put people in, take people out. And of course, the Heat have had uh, injury, um, disfortunes that have caused some of that as well. So Dragic will get his minutes now, whether or not he's going to be able to perform the way he did. A couple of years ago, he got into the uh, an All-Star nod. I don't know that he deserved it for that season. Ironically, he deserved it for the season before that, which was great, I thought. Yeah. Um, but um, the hope is that he can at least play a little bit better than he did last season um, and be a sort of a secondary type of playmaker slash shooter. Some seasons, he shoots really well from three. Um, and the hope is he gets to that to that level this season.
3: Yeah, I mean, it was it was funny watching him at the end of the year. I mean, he had some huge games shooting it for three i think i want to say he had a game where he had like 25 in the first half or something like that i I can't remember exactly who that that was against you know after coming back from the knee injury but you know i i mean it's especially you know we'll see whether he still has to have that brace on after the uh the meniscus surgery i think it was but he uh yeah you know, I I kind of see him more as like you know a 25 minute a game guy now uh, at this point
2: um yeah, I mean, and, and we, as you mentioned yeah 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 sorry ahead. I mean yes but the, the the overall big picture right last season yeah. he played 36 games and he shot 35% from 3 34.8 I think it was something like that Yeah um Um, so overall he wasn't that effective last season, but, um, the hope is yes. I mean, with, with, with health, he could get back to, to sort of, I think he's a little bit over 36 for his career. Hopefully he can get back to, uh, to being a better, especially now that he has somebody he can rely upon as a primary playmaker. Right, maybe maybe that'll help him a little bit um in terms of uh, some more playing off the ball, being able to spot up, hit some open threes, and get his confidence that when he has the ball, he can he can do sort of different things with the ball. You know, he's he, he can be a playmaker. He's maybe not the greatest passer in the world, but um he's he's a strong finisher. He he has a lot of the elements that if he has a second guy around him, which which Jimmy Butler hopefully now is, that he can do better than he did last season.
3: Yeah, and I think uh, the concern for me again, maybe this was injury related, was that finishing at the rim was not as ridiculous. I mean, he used to be one of the best guard finishers in the nba but only 58 percent around the room first time in, in his career at least as a rotation player that he was under 60 percent and that number had been trending down a little bit even before uh the injuries last year so yeah hopefully he can be better than last year i mean hopefully he's not gonna be injured all year but yeah i mean I, I think it especially when you consider the minutes limitations he's kind of a lower end starting point guard but they just really need that production because as you mentioned they have kind of this odd structure where you know justice Winslow looks like he's going to be the backup point guard they put the ball in his hands but he's not really you know an amazing pick and roll player doesn't really have like a a, a mid-range game i mean he can bring the ball up he can kind of dribble around while guys come off of screens uh and then you know or go spot up himself with his uh, improving jump shot um and he's pretty good defensively but he's more kind of just a here's someone who can dribble the ball up not a guy who's going to really create advantages for you in the half court offensively
2: all of what you're saying is, is is exactly true I mean that's the problem that the Heat has they have to rely upon Dragic but Dragic to be candid Dragic also knows you know at one point the Heat reached out to Dragic about trade scenarios so I mean um, I, I don't think that's going to cause a problem in season but but is he a part of the future Maybe not, right? This He's going to yeah. be an expiring contract this year. He's got a $19 million salary and then he's a free agent next season. So, is he the future? I don't know. Um, of course, the Heat have been linked to a couple of scenarios in which they get a point guard. You know, it used to be Russell Westbrook, now it's Chris Paul. Um, so, Did the Heat. And- quickly,
3: do you, would you be in favor of that move? Uh, you know, assuming it's just kind of like uh, they give up expiring contracts for Paul, uh, I mean you wouldn't expect them to give up too many assets because he's got that huge contract for three more years but uh, would you be in favor of that move?
2: So I can see the vision, I have I have some problems with that, right? So th- the vision for Chris Paul is two things number one, not for them to give up assets but to get back assets, namely at least one first round pick if not two. Yeah,
3: well so and I, I think there's just no way OKC does that, I was talking about this with Royce Young on the program last week and, I mean, OKC has all these assets. I mean, they would just – I think they would rather just eat the Paul contract than actually have to give up assets to get off of him because they they don't really have much of a use for more cap space in the next few years.
2: So I would agree with that, number one. Number two, the, 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 the addendum to that is to, to get – in getting Russell Westbrook, um, you know, in, 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 the, in the Russell Westbrook, Chris Paul trade, they got two first round picks to be able to, to have to give them up now in order to get rid of, yeah. uh, what, what did they accomplish, right? They wouldn't have, uh, have accomplished anything. I do, from the Heat's perspective, regardless of what compensation goes back and forth, I do think, I, I do think that Chris Paul is getting unfairly judged, right? I think he's a very good point guard. Yes, he's lost a lot of his, his athleticism, but he does have that sort of point guard ability to break down a defense and to create space for for others and as, as he's gotten gotten older he's take last season aside where he struggled a little bit but he has the ability to space the floor with his shooting as well so i think the vision there uh, you know it could be chris paul at the 1 tyler hero as he develops at the 2 jimmy butler at the 3 it was my, it's my hope that if the Chris Paul situation ever actually materializes, that the Heat would also go after Gallinari and put him at the four. And then, of course, you got Bam Adebayo at the five. Um, that's sort of like what the vision could be. The problem, of course, is 21 that he has that, uh, yeah. he has that player option, which is, is, is $44 million hey, for. for he's,
3: he's probably going to opt do- in. I I'm
2: going to predict that.
3: Uh yeah, and and you've been talking about how that could be a summer for them to to get back into the free agency game, which is you know more realistic for a team like Miami than some others.
2: Right. So I mean they've got they'll they'll have I mean, if you want to talk all the way that far out, they'll have Jimmy Butler under contract. They'll have Winslow at 13 million bucks. They'll have Tyler Hero. They'll have Bam Adebayo's, um, you know, restricted free agent rights, uh, bird rights, and then they'll have maybe 38 to 40 million dollars of cap space, which is max level. So, what can they do with all that?
3: Um, All right. So, so back to this year's team. I I think you know this as I go through this roster. I say this every year. It does. It just seems like there are a lot of guys who. You know, could pop, but also, you know, have really struggled. One of those guys, to me, we talked about the need for more playmaking it seems to me like there is once again a role for Dion waiters with this group if he can finally be out there i mean it's probably not realistic to expect that he's going to play as well as he did in sixteen seventeen. Yeah. but if he can just provide some kind of creation and drives to the basket on the second unit i think there's absolutely a role for him
2: so yeah i mean i have a lot of thoughts on the Dion waiter situation sort of sixteen seventeen was his sort of the second half was his sort of coming out party and they gave him that contract in the summer of 2017 i still don't understand why he gave him that contract they knew he was so severely injured with his left ankle apparently they misread yeah. the situation but when he so he he missed a lot of i guess the, the end of two seasons ago and the beginning of last season when he came back yeah he got widely criticized he actually had a pretty good season i mean yeah, he actually wasn't that percent, bad. true shooting percentage is by far his best of his career but he was overweight and he lost a lot of playmaking ability for that and that's where he got he got he got targeted as as you know not 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 performing as well as he did in 16 17 so that's that's he's in phenomenal shape uh, apparently now so he has the potential to to do better and the Heat would really need that playmaking <laughs> i mean think about what they did last year right when when he went down when dragic went down they didn't have playmaking they switched josh richardson from from his sort of spacing type of role to a playmaking type of role josh richardson shot 44 on three pointers in the first month uh, i think it was through uh what november 23rd it was top five in the nba then they asked him to be a playmaking because they just did not have a playmaker because they didn't just have anybody else for the rest of the season the next five months he shot 32.8 percent from the from three we need playmakers and yeah uh, the hope is Tyler Hero can be a shooter, right? I mean, that's yeah. sure. But And maybe even uh, uh, progress into some sort of playmaking ability. But um, in the meantime, yes, if the heat, the heat has... You couldn't have said it better. They have a lot of potential, but nothing proven yet. They have a lot of possible playmakers like a Tyler Hero. But... Uh, the only clear-cut answers are, guy. well, of course, the the primary playmakers is very clearly going to be Jimmy Butler, but they might need a Dragic, they might need a Waiters, and they have a lot of potential from shooting, but do they have any guarantees there either? No. So, this is a team that has a lot of potential, but maybe not a lot of proven ability in both playmaking and shooting. Both are critical components, right? I mean, you got to space the floor yeah. for the playmakers.
3: Yeah, so, I mean, so, Jimmy Butler, who do you think Going to start at the two, right? If we're going to say Dragos, just start at the one. Uh, who do you see as the starting two? So
2: uh, I don't even think the Heat knows right now, but I think they're ultimately going to go to go to waiter. Waiters. Waiters, oh, I don't know how you view. I'll, I'll leave it to you as to how you view Butler and and, and uh, Waiters. You know, either one of them can be sort of versatile in that. In that, yeah. Respect. I
3: mean, those are those are probably your three best playmakers. Now maybe you just move, uh, you stagger those guys out. But
2: uh, yeah, yeah, I mean, maybe I think the long term hey, yeah. vision is to have Tyler Hero in there clearly, right? right. But I don't, I. I suspect the Heat aren't going to start that way. Um, now, that's just a guess. I could be wrong, and certainly over time, Tyler Hero will be in the starting lineup at some point in the season. Absolutely. I, I, I just... I,
3: wow. so, so you think that they, they think that highly of him at, at this point, huh? Sorry, what? I said they, they think that highly of him at, at this point. So I, that think they could, I mean, he's a one of, and done guy, you know. I think so their view of
2: Tyler Hero has uh, evolved over time, right? I think they thought very highly highly of him in the draft, right? That That's clear, right? They wouldn't have selected him if not. Uh, 13, <laughs> but I think after that, I have reason to believe, you know, after that they were pursuing a couple of trades for point guards. We talked about already, Chris Paul, Russell Westbrook. They did not sign him for a period of time. Time right, and I have reason to believe that a part of the reason was because certain teams were asking for him as as part of the return, and the Heat didn't necessarily close that off. He had a very good summer league, and I think he's changed minds. And I personally, I don't know how the Heat feels uh, to be exact on him, but I think they see the potential, and I personally myself see the potential in him. Um, as but he didn't. It's it's weird. He has a flawless looking shot, but he didn't shoot that well in college. Yeah. Yeah, I think he was 35... Um, all these stats, I'm trying to remember them off the top of my head. I think he was like yeah, thirty-five. It wasn't 5. like unbelievable.
3: It wasn't like your, you know, Jamal Murray, J.J. Redick shooting 40% from the yes, type but, of season. But he has Devin that potential, Booker.
2: and I think yeah. he has the potential to be a playmaker, and I think you saw some of that in Summer League, so I think it, 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 it sort of gave at least Heat fans a lot of excitement as to what his potential could be. He's certainly going to be the future in terms of the replacement for Josh Richardson. Richardson was the better defender, unquestionably, but... Um, I think uh tyler hero has the potential to be the better offensive player and i think he has the potential to be a really good complementary piece as an offensive player in the future and yeah i do think they think that highly of him and i do think that that as a result he will be starting at some season
3: yeah god the more i think about this i mean there's so much like justice winslow is another real swing piece i mean he's started a lot of these games in part because they needed some ball handling and they needed some defense they've got a little bit more of that now but you know i could see it do you think he could be in the mix to start at the four they've also got James Johnson there they've got a Linux there in theory I think we can assume out is going to start at the
2: five they also got Myers Leonard right I mean so he's, <laughs> they've got a lot of pieces in that position you're right I do think he has a chance if he has so he'd have a lot of ways to 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 sort of come about how to how to create their opening opening night starting lineup. I do think that with respect to Winslow, the only way he gets into the starting lineup on opening night is to get is to be at the four. Right. Um so now whether or not he's the long-term answer. See, he's in a weird position in terms of the long-term for the Heat. He's been he's been progressing very very well over the years. You know, that shot um he didn't he didn't have an, at all a shot in the first year and then he Somehow shot forty, uh, sorry, thirty-eight percent two years ago, and nobody guarded him, so nobody took it as as real, right? He had very few attempts, and and he couldn't, and he he converted him at at a good clip, but nobody thought it was real. And then last year, he didn't fall off that much as his as his three point shooting dramatically increased in volume. So I think his shot is he's never going to be a great three point shooter. He's not going to be a forty plus, but he's he's proven to be a solid three point shooter. But he's at a weird stage where now his natural position, whatever you think that would be, he's competing with somebody like a Jimmy Butler, right? That That is clearly ahead of him at, at a sort of a small forward type of position. So you got to slot him in at shooting guard, go- uh, sorry, at point guard where, like you said, he's not really a natural point guard. So his long-term fit, where do you put him when you have... The hope when you have that championship caliber team after one or two more pieces are added, right? So he's got this sort of weird fit here where, you know, you can slot him in at point guard, and he did pretty well in some aspects of that, and you can slot him in at power forward, but is he, you know, does he have the capability of of guarding that? Well to some extent yes but anyway he's he's sort of a weird component where he's improving every single year to the point now where he has a lot of skills and he's an intriguing prospect but he's where do you slot him in has always been a question for the heat and now i think it's maybe at point guard maybe at power forward it's odd to 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 use those two types of uh uh, positions in the same sentence
3: i think i probably would want to start him and maybe it would just change based on the matchups uh you know that maybe a Linux could get some time starting at the four uh without a bio at the five I kind of like linux more as a stretch backup center I, I don't think Leonard you know he really has not been able to contribute at a rotation level for most of his career so far so I would I wouldn't count on him being a quality rotation player um and he's not he's always been like you know pretty ripped it's not like you could say oh he gets into the heat culture and he really improves his body like that's that's the one thing that he does have uh, going for him so I think I probably would start Winslow at the four if I were these guys and because they still need you know Butler especially if he's going to have the ball lot he i think has moved into a little bit of a new phase as far as being like the big stopper uh and i think you know maybe that can be winslow's job and it's just a question of between Dragic, waiters butler and winslow do you put all of that ball handling in the starting lineup you obviously would have to break it up relatively early on but i think just you know winslow is probably the best player and so why not get as much talent as you can there in the starting lineup and they have a lot of guys who can grab and go and winslow has you know become a developing shooter has shot uh 4.6 three point attempts for thirty six minutes, which was a, a pretty decent amount for him last year, and he shot a, a good percentage in the high thirties, so he can hopefully space it enough uh when he's off the ball and then you know take him out early, bring in maybe Derek Jones and then have him come back in as, as the backup point guard.
2: Yeah, so I think I agree with you. I, I see him initially starting if he starts he's starting at the, the power forward position, I think at some point in the season he'll get starting minutes at uh at the point guard position. There's other players in here that, that are contributing to the mix as well. There's also casey Ipala, who we haven't talked much about um but you know he's sort of a what 6.9 and a half sorry six nine and a half wing who can guard small forwards power forwards and if he develops his shot he needs minutes too yeah so he Heat have sort of a lot of players without a clear-cut definition of where where everybody's going, what positions everybody's going to play and that's sort of goes in line with their position positionless thinking but um yeah, I think you got to get Winslow in at some, some, uh, some position. So,
3: so they do, as you started to talk about, they do have these intriguing young wings. Put these four guys in order for me as far as who will get the most playing time to who will get the least playing mm-hmm. time. Derek Jones Jr., mm-hmm. Kazee Akpala, Kendrick Nunn, and Duncan Robinson. How would you put those guys in order as, so as far as uh, how they're gonna play? So yeah. Jones
2: would be a clear cut one, only because he he played a lot last year and he and he and he sort of proved himself. He's not.
3: Yeah, uh, I like his uh, fit with Ol- Olenek on the second unit. If, if Olenek's gonna be your backup center and Jones your backup four, I think that would be that's a good group together.
2: See. Uh, I don't know. I don't think anybody knows much about Akpala, but Jones's issue is he's a great defender. He's a high flyer. He'll he'll throw highlight reel dunks down, but he's not the greatest shooter. Um, so that's going to always be a limiting factor. I think he's going to get more minutes just because he's proven himself a little bit more. Um, I personally like the potential of an Akpala if he can develop his shot. I don't know that he can. Um, um, but he's certainly got a nice enough stroke where it makes you think like there's potential. I mean, the Heat obviously. Obviously like them, right? They traded up, yeah. traded away three second round picks to, to be able to get him at 32. There's a reason for that. Um, it's hit or miss. I mean, I like his potential maybe a lot and just as much as Derek Jones, if not better. But I do think Jones, you asked who's going to get the most minutes. I think that's going to be Jones over him for yeah. sure. Um Kendrick Nunn, Duncan Robinson. I, I like I like the potential of Duncan Robinson too he's going to be he could be a great shooter can he defend is the question there uh, he'll get some minutes I, both of them by the way have great contracts right they have yeah. two years non-guaranteed and then, then restricted free agency so if they get big minutes and they and they show that they can deliver in those minutes then they could be big parts of the team uh, you know the Heat has a tendency Spolstra has a tendency to play everyone in some way shape or form at some point so I do think they'll get their minutes and if they prove that they can perform then they'll get even more minutes but Robinson did a little bit last year didn't maybe perform so well but i still like what he has to to give i still think that he could be a a player but um it's hit or miss i mean these are end of the rotation guys you you just you can't say with certainty anybody who says with certainty i mean sure it's tough it's tough
3: um Yeah, so i think the other guy we haven't talked about at all is james johnson and you know he was another guy had just an unbelievable 16 17 season you know has not necessarily been in the same type of shape he had had that core muscle injury he did not come back strong last year i mean is it do you see him possibly still starting at at the four at times is he a backup could he be out of the rotation entirely it seems like any of those could be a possibility for here from afar
2: all of those could be a possibility but um and all of those will probably happen at some point in the season he might start a game or two he might be out of the rotation completely i do not think personally that he's a big part of the heat's future um I still think he's the type of guy that in limited minutes can create offense. I mean, he's just, he, he doesn't get very many points. He, he just doesn't have, a lot of times he doesn't have, it's frustrating. He has the ability, but not necessarily the biggest impact on the game. Um, he can in limited minutes perform very, very well. But I just, when I view the Heat as a team and their team concept, I don't, I don't see how he fits in. He's a limited shooter who creates offense. If you put him into the starting lineup with with everybody else who we we're talking about, who, who creates their own shots Jimmy Butler um you know primarily but but also Goran Dragic also Deion Waiters you're 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 sacrificing shooting by putting him in there for the benefit of more playmaking and I don't think it's really needed so I think his his primary role is probably a backup role um so he might come off the come come off the bench and be a be a sort of secondary playmaker and I do see the potential since they have so many people they have to get in there are times that he might not play at all
3: yeah I mean this is going to be his age 32 season and you know really uh, Below 20 percent usage but well below league average efficiency as well doesn't particularly space the floor i mean he'll he'll shoot him every once in a while but and he's had moments where he looked a little bit better but you're you're right he likes to have the ball and they've got some other guys who can do that so he does to me fit better on the second unit i think they you know they really need somebody who can be a a play finisher uh shooting the ball a little bit more so uh yeah i I, it wouldn't especially because some of these younger guys are you know jones in particular I mean, it seems like Jones and Johnson may be competing for uh, minutes uh, on the second unit. Could throw Paul in there as well. I mean, they do need a backup three, also. So, yeah. I mean, they have a lot of guys who can play a lot of different positions, and Johnson mm-hmm. fits into that to some degree. But yeah, I mean, I, I just I worry that he just might be done a, at this point.
2: I mean, the the guys who are going to play the biggest minutes are obviously Jimmy Butler and and Bam Adebayo. Everybody else, there's just so many players to mix and match that that you know a lot of people are going to get a lot of minutes. At, Various times, and they're not going to play very much at other times. But the two that will always get minutes, of course, is Butler and uh, and Bam Adebayo. <laughs> now that Whiteside is gone, there's there's nobody really to take minutes from from Adebayo. Is going to be able to. When you talk about the the sort of future of the team and who's going to improve, Adebayo's really going to be in line to potentially take a big step. Hopefully, yeah, we haven't talked that much about him.
3: But when you say he could take a big step, what what are the areas of his game that that you think that could be improved?
2: Well, number one, just more experience. But two, you know, the shot. Obviously, he's never going to be in sort of a, a long-range type of shooter. But he's he's primarily just an interior sort of pick-and-roll type of shooter right now at the at the rim. I think he can step back and maybe make an elbow jumper. He's he's been working on it this summer. I you, you can't really trust anything that goes on prior to the regular season. But uh, I think he can improve his shooting. He's can also improve. He's some. He's a reasonably good for a youngster. A really reasonably good passer as well for a big man. I think he can improve in that area as well. You know if he can do all those little things he, and he's versatile he can he can he can continue along the lines of his, his versatility and defensively coming into the league he wasn't a great rebounder he's improved that in that area and he can prove some more he wasn't really a, the greatest shot blocker known to be he can improve sort of in that area as well i think he will take the next step incremental changes just like he did last year to to, to be an all-around better player um, so
3: yeah, you know what he, what I would like to see the heat do. I mean, and they had a very good defense last year and I, I largely expect that to continue, yep. but they can throw some units out there with Adebayo at the five now. Winslow, Butler, Waiters is a really strong guy. If you put James Johnson into that group or Jones, or, you know, Drogic doesn't really fit it as much, but they could do some real switching like one through five with some of these groups or even two through five sometimes where, uh, I think they could just be you know they've got so many strong guys who can move their feet I agree. who have decent size i, I think they the, this could be you know a lot of these teams have gone away from that you know that used to be the idea with the warriors a couple of years ago now you know there aren't as many teams that could do that but i think the heat could actually be one of them
2: I, I agree with i don't really worry so much about the heat's defense you know spolstra always seems to to have the the types of players and the types of schemes to be able to develop good defense um that's really been the case all of the last several years as the heat have struggled a little bit um mm mm-hmm. The, the the area where they where, where it's been more of a challenge is of course on the offensive side of the ball but you're right they have so many players that are so versatile that are tall and can move their feet and some need to add a little bit you know the, the youngsters probably need to add a little bit of uh, of strength but um, they have the ability to guard two through four in some cases you know potentially even I mean potentially even five you know James Johnson can guard a, a center as easily as he can guard a small forward even maybe even in some cases depending upon the matchup a shooting guard it's 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 they do have a lot of players we have that versatility. Um, the question is, can they that will help their them defensively the question is can that any grouping of four or five players that they use for that defensive versatility also provide the offense needed to, to sustain yeah. a, a victory
3: well and i think the hope is that if you do go to some of those more defensively focused groups especially at the end of games that jimmy butler just creating one-on-one you know he's gonna dribble the air out of the ball but he can hopefully get a good shot for you at least uh, against most teams uh, yeah how to pick a Roll, that's you know
2: that's another a, a sort of a quiet reason why why Jimmy Butler was so important. So two years ago in 1718 when we were 44 and 38, the clutch was a big reason why. In those situations, I, I think I had this conversation uh, last year at this time. I, I think uh, they were like 29 and 24, and they shot 48 percent and 39 percent from three. Those are like championship caliber numbers in the clutch, right? I mean, 39 yeah. percent and three; those are not sustainable for a team of the quality of the Heat back then or now. Or, or or last season. And last season, it sort of sort of normalized, right? They were 21 and 24 in the clutch, 39% field goal shooting, 21 uh, uh, on threes. So you know it was a sort of a four game drop. That that basically is the drop in the record from 44 wins to, uh, from 44 wins to 39. So the clutch is really a big reason why Jimmy Butler is good in the clutch. So all of a sudden now you have somebody you can rely upon, where where it, it would no longer be a fluke if you can turn to somebody and he'd be really good in the clutch.
3: So let's get to uh what we think is going to happen this season uh, in terms of a predicted record. I'll go first here last year. 20 or i'm sorry sixth in defense but 26th in offense basically at the point differential of a 500 team a little bit below there, 40 Mm -hmm. and 42 defensively you know they are going to lose josh richardson Uh, i think that that is definitely going to hurt them you know they are we are going to see some guys take steps forward hero you know i mean he's he's okay defensively but he's a rookie you know if he's going to play i think that that could hurt them if dragage plays more that could hurt the defense Mm -hmm. that's the one thing that all his missed time probably helped the defense. so and White side out of it. White side, he, he still could barricade the room at times i mean i didn't think he overall was that great of a defensive player but he probably made some contribution so i would expect them defensively to be kind of right around that same area you know jimmy butler also in the regular season was not a good defensive player last year as yep. people in philly will tell you so you know i think maybe they end up taking a step back to have him probably in that six to eight range but really the big variable is the offense and how much is jimmy butler going to help them how much could a full season of Dragic help them uh, potentially waiters uh i don't know that i would expect that much more from him this year if you look at his overall stats so they could play more but i don't know if he's going to be much better so I, I still probably see this group as being a little bit below average offensively this year um what do you think
2: well so are you asking me how i think they are or the initial question of wins because i didn't hear your. oh, oh yeah wins. well i i rambled
3: <laughs> i rambled for a while there so but yeah i mean in terms in terms of offense i think like i kind of have a, let's just focus on that for now i, I would have him maybe you know in the like 17th to twenty type of range uh, offensively is because they don't have a ton of like great shooters either. You know they, they have a lot of pieces, but and they do have Butler, but I'm kind of uh, uh, I'm I could, don't see him getting much above average offensively. Do you see it that way, or are uh, you I think uh, they have more I, potential than that?
2: I, I'm sort of in your camp. I think the defense will be uh you know a little bit worse than it was last year because we did lose Josh Richardson, and and if if certain players play more minutes, uh, Goran Dragic plays more minutes, then it, it compromises the offense just a little bit. uh, uh Sorry, the defense just a little little bit. So I think the defense will take a slight step back. They performed very well last season. The offense, yes, I think we got better, but there's a lot that's unproven. Yes, um, we can rely upon. But the thing that I like about Jimmy Butler is we have our guy in the clutch. I mean, that's going to be a key, but he's the playmaker, the primary playmaker. I'm not sold on our shooting just yet. So I, it's sort of a trade-off there, how, how we got a little bit better, and, but maybe not substantially better. So the offense will get a little bit better, but not materially. Better overall, you take slightly worse defense to slightly better offense. I think the overall record is better than it was last year, but not necessarily better than I predicted last year when I was wrong. Um,
3: uh, <laughs> what did you have last year?
2: So, with Danny, I predicted so with you, by the way, two seasons ago, I predicted uh, what 45 wins and they ended up at 44. And the last game was a fluke, so I should have been right on the money <laughs> last year. I predicted the same because it was the same team, right? Um,
3: yeah, yeah, that's what I. I I had 44 also last year.
2: Yeah. So I predicted that, and, and obviously they went to 39. But this year, I can't materially increase my prediction. I mean, I just don't see them being materially better unless they make a, an in season trade that, that changes the dynamics. I'm still right at the call it 44 to 45. I'm going to say just one number 45 wins is my.
3: Prediction. Yeah. I, that's right about where I would be, too. The other thing we didn't talk about, too, is Butler, you know, hasn't, he'll generally miss some games. Now, last year, he actually was was healthier than he has been but he you know he missed games just due to uh general soreness and the whole saga with uh with minnesota but especially if he's gonna be back now i mean he didn't have as large of a load on him in philly and i think that helped him stay healthy now if he's gonna be back to the every down guy uh i think he you know he's probably gonna miss 15 games and i think yeah, you know, with him out, then you're back to probably that same level of offense that you were exactly last year. The Heat has so a lot of experience with concern. that, though.
2: I mean, they yeah. have a lot of experience in. in it. I mean, a lot of the players they changed some of their players, but a lot of the players are back, and and it'd just be the same thing as last as prior years, right? And they're very good at mixing and matching when people go down because so many people go down for the Heat. But yeah, I agree. We need yeah. Butler, and he's 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 going to be his workload has already throughout the course of his career has been very high, and now it's going to be even higher with the Heat.
3: Yeah, so I'm going to go with 44 wins uh, for these guys. You know, I, I think we're we're pretty much in agreement about where they'll be. Uh, what about a, a best case scenario for this group?
2: Best case scenario is their youngsters really develop. Tyler Hero develops into a great shooter, uh, floor spacer. Uh, Justice Winslow takes the next step, um, and uh, Jimmy Butler all of a sudden has a bunch of space to to maneuver into, and other people. stand casey Paula obviously has the potential to be a, a nice complementary piece, and and this team just really kicks it into gear and i think they could get up to 50 maybe 50 i don't know at this point you're just it's just arbitrary numbers but 51 maybe 50 call it 50 50 plus is the way i would characterize it
3: yeah that sounds about right to me too i mean maybe butler uh the addition of him and, and you know some guys improve from a shooting standpoint and you can get to be the the number 12 offense and maybe the, they can become a, a top five defense you know that's not number one defense but you know maybe the number four defense or something like that so yeah that's
2: that's looking like a, a low 50s win team yeah but high, but high 40s low 50s but in terms of how it ranks in the eastern conference <laughs> i think you'd be hard-pressed to say i mean maybe you're you're, most likely, you're talking six, seven, or eight. Maybe yeah, you can get to I don't know five or you know, Brooklyn's going to be a maybe very good team, but they're three. missing their best player. I don't know; it's very, very close. Um, I, I wouldn't
3: I wouldn't say it's impossible for them to be three. I think, like, especially because you know Boston and Toronto and indiana all have major question marks as well i mean i would probably put the heat uh ahead of indiana right now although i might expect indiana to be playing better by the end of the season if voladipo returns to form um and maybe below toronto and below boston at the moment that's probably so that's kind of where i would have them fitting in at this
2: point right so in a best case scenario yes i think they have a chance to get higher um you know, it's an outside chance I would say but I, I would agree with your assessment certainly certain teams they can't get beyond right they can't get beyond the Bucks. they can't probably get beyond the sixers everybody else outside chance um most likely in the six seven eight range and I do think they'll make the playoffs um and in one of those ranges six seven or eight yeah or i mean it,
3: right. if they don't make the playoffs like the Butler signing was like kind of a disaster
2: well the butler signing is step one i think everybody's waiting for yeah. step two right i mean the, the, again i'll I go back to the the initial part of the conversation conversation step two was really hurt by the way in which they got him but yeah. it's really step one. I think everybody's waiting for the next domino to fall and I think the Heat are trying to make it happen. It's not the easiest thing in the world to get done, but uh, we're looking for the second star and if Butler is the impetus to get that second star, then it was worth it.
3: Yeah, I mean, and it's such an interesting transaction because Butler at his age 30, how many elite seasons does he have left? I mean, I thought he took steps backwards last year, uh, but, you know, looked pretty good in the playoffs, but as a regular season guy it had probably his worst season, I would say, since he really became a star level of player and uh he's uh certainly relies on his body and athleticism uh, to a large degree and so that's uh there's it, it's it, yeah there's a lot of yeah, risk but,
2: <laughs> they paid him a lot of money number 1 yeah. in, in terms of his max and there he's is got a lot the of player
3: risk. option too which was uh also uh kind of surprised me
2: yeah so yes i <laughs> If I had the opportunity to pick my my lead guy, you know, obviously some guys would be ahead of others, but um, the fact that we have one now, and Jimmy Butler, I think will will look to him to, to really step up in that role, whether he can, advanced age, high minutes in the past a lot of games played I don't I don't know I mean so that's that's where the risk element comes in but I th- again I think this was just you had to get somebody to take step one for step two and step three and hopefully build a team that can compete I don't think well, I don't think this team right here is going to threaten to potentially make it into the second third or final uh, round of the playoffs or, or finals etc but um it's step one of what I think everybody hopes is going to be a step two or step three and, and onto it sort of a, a uh, competing type of team
3: uh okay worst case scenario for these guys i'll probably go with 36 wins you know maybe i mean in this worst case scenario isn't the whole team gets injured but guys kind of miss the amount that they are maybe Dragic again you know just in terms of minutes and games butler minutes and games are kind of on the lower end uh, of where they've been uh winslow has had some trouble staying healthy as well though some of that was upper body injuries which maybe aren't as likely to recur but you know i could just see them again if butler falls off or uh, the shooting doesn't hold up you could see him being in the 20s in offense and maybe the defense is down in the teens, and so you know that's kind of more of a a mid-30s type of win team
2: so i'm um slightly higher than you obviously they they finished sort of in the worst case scenario last year at 39 like we talked about earlier i think the the offense will be maybe a little bit better and the defense maybe a little bit worse so i do think a scenario like last season could be reasonable in terms of a worst case scenario i would go 38 uh, just picking a number out of a hat i would go somewhere around 38 i was somewhere around all
3: right there. well that's 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 we're doing here anyway right <laughs> when it comes
2: down to it uh, i don't know um, I, I would hope it doesn't get all the way down to 36 i mean but it's it's two games right i mean <laughs> I, 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 yeah yeah i mean anything can happen that can make it make it there but uh,
3: yeah i mean and when i'm doing this i'm kind of more thinking this is what their point differential is gonna be right like right i mean you could you could easily just be four games in one direction or another based on bad luck and close games Absolutely. or something like that i'm trying to think of just what they are fundamentally as a team um all right well uh, Tell us about uh, some of the work that you do. Obviously, follow you on Twitter uh, at uh, Albert Namad. Right, that's your your Twitter handle yep. and uh Heathoops.com where Where uh, if you thought that uh, his breakdown of that that trade uh, was detailed, go to heathoops.com and you will realize that that was just the tip of the iceberg uh, with Albert. That's uh, that's why I love having you on. Uh,
2: yeah, maybe, maybe ner- nerding
3: I've... out with you about cap stuff is always uh, a great experience.
2: Maybe I wasn't the most eloquent um, with you in explaining my sort of issues with. With how they structure the Jimmy Butler trade, but I will... Uh Try to tweet out clarification so hopefully it becomes easier <laughs> to follow whether or not i mean I, me I, not. I
3: i thought it was good but okay uh, sounds I, good
2: because it was yeah. it was really an underreported part of the the summer and i really kept my mouth shut on it because you know the heat ultimately did get their man but i did have some issues with the way everything went down some of which was in the heat control and maybe i don't know the portion that wasn't in the heat control i don't, I don't have that type of insight information but if it was maybe i have a small issue with with how it was executed so
3: yeah well i mean the team is probably better this year because that dragage trade fell through but in the long term obviously there are uh, there are issues um all right well thanks again for coming on this was great and uh, looking forward to staying in touch uh, and being told when i'm wrong about cap stuff uh, throughout the season I, I always appreciate when you do that
2: for, for, for the record i don't ever publicly tell anybody they're wrong
3: oh no privately I've privately private messages
2: a, when i spot things for people to uh, to update on their own without um, having to credit me so yeah
3: no no that and that's uh i i wasn't that was not tongue-in-cheek i actually do uh, appreciate that uh, Dave, Dave, david david lock uh, corrected me on something on, on the previous show that we did the uh, with the jazz where i just had uh, a wrong thought in my head about how they played against eastern conference teams on the road and he's like no actually they didn't lose any of those games all season like, all right uh all right well thanks again for coming on this is great i really appreciate it Sure. thank you for having me all right let's talk now with blake murphy of the athletic about the nba champion toronto raptors does it feel like these guys were nba champions still after everything that's happened since or uh is it kind of like that was like a dream and it's and it's just over so quickly
1: uh a little of both maybe uh the the limited length of the off season coming off of a championship year certainly makes it feel like they're still uh champions also me pandering in all my articles by referring to them as the reigning defending undisputed nba champion uh, (laughs) as much as i can until until the usefulness of that runs out um I still think, you know, I think this year is going to have a little bit of a, not championship hangover, but there's a, you know, there's that sun kind of shining on it where uh, the pressure's off a little bit. I think fans will still be happy. Everyone's going to get to wear their championship gear. Uh, it doesn't feel like the same team at all, but it still feels like, uh, you know, the championship was, was just a week ago or so.
3: Yeah. And you mentioned it doesn't feel like the same team at all. Obviously Kawhi Leonard is gone. Danny Green is gone. Those are the, the only major defections, I would say. But this team still has plenty of reason for optimism this year, in part because of how well they played. Without a Kawhi Leonard last season,
1: yeah, for sure they went 17 and five uh, without Leonard when when Leonard sat for load management or the small foot and knee injuries he had. Uh, obviously, you can't extrapolate a 17 and five record. Uh, the Raptors were pretty selective about which side of a back to back he sat on, you know, considering the lesser opponent and things like that. Um, also, you know, that's 22 games. That's not 82 games. Danny Green was a part of that. Uh, a couple of the other players filling up that that Leonard vacuum are a year older now, uh, but were pretty good overall and I think the thing that's maybe most encouraging if you're projecting the Raptors for 2019-2020 is that uh, in the regular season their defense was actually better with Leonard off the floor now I don't mean that to say that Leonard is a a poor defender obviously he at his best is very very good maybe the best one-on-one defender in in basketball when he's locked in Uh, but the Raptors did things well around him they had almost no you know pretty much no negative defenders once they tightened the rotation to a playoff uh, to a playoff rotation Um, they had a smart scheme that that played well and fueled their their transition game on offense. Uh, and Leonard, for the bulk of the the regular season, maybe as part of the load management plan, maybe a, as part of just in game energy conservation, uh, didn't spend a ton of time guarding the best players on other teams. So you got guys like O.J. Ananobi and Pascal Siakam, a little experience in that role as well. So um, offense, much bigger concerns uh, with Leonard coming off of a, a 30.3% usage year, even only in 60 games, uh, he just carried a, a huge load of the offense. You. You saw that especially in some playoff series where uh, he had to kind of drag them kicking and screaming round around. round uh, but I think there's at least you know enough evidence in the non-Leonard minutes from last year uh, to be confident that this Raptors team is good if not championship level
3: yeah what were the numbers like as far as uh, their offense and defense uh, without him
1: yeah um, I had them open one second ago um, yeah they were I think they were three points per 100 possessions better with him uh, off the floor uh, on the defense And then offensively, um, there was a huge, there was a huge jump. what are they? They scored 115.6 points per 100 possessions when Leonard was on the floor and 107.7 when he was off. So almost an eight point drop on the offensive end. Uh, that was up well into the double digits in the playoffs when they more or less couldn't score when he wasn't on the floor. Oh yeah. Um, but yeah. So I yeah. think it was like, I think it was something like a 20 point per 100 possession difference in the playoffs. Uh, even eight in the regular season is substantial. Uh, and then on the defensive side, they were 3.6 points per 100 possessions, uh, better with him off the floor on the defensive end. And, and you know the 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 part that colors that a little bit is that they were much better with Danny Green on the floor um so you lose Leonard and maybe you can convince yourself it's not a huge regular season defense loss uh but through those same lenses then the Danny Green loss uh looms fairly large
3: yeah that's probably hasn't been talked about enough or nor has been talked about how good he might be for the Lakers certainly he's uh is age 32 season for him uh could experience a drop off I mean I think he's not quite the defender he doesn't quite quite have the magical fast break defense that he once did although it's still pretty pretty darn good uh he really was a big part of their transition game as well with some of those pull-up threes um but you just talk a little bit about how oh my god did i just say that talk, talk about <laughs> well wow, it's way too early here preseason for all, all of the us <sighs> Uh, what were his contributions last year that are going to be missed? Or how was that? Was that a little
1: better? Yeah, yeah. Um, I think the biggest thing is you know Green hit 198 threes last year, and that was first on the Raptors by a significant margin. Um, if you look at potential weaknesses on the Raptors this year, three point shooting stands out as one. They're going to miss Green uh, a lot there as kind of uh you know a safety valve in the offense and a guy who creates that room for the rest of the offense to to breathe. He hit 45.5 percent of his threes. Even if you were to price in that that he's going to decline, uh not even decline, just that would just be regression at a 45.5% level. Um, that's a big deal. So even though his usage percent for the Raptors was only 14.1%, um, he was second on the team in total minutes played, which is huge when you're factoring in his defensive impact, um, when you figure in his spacing impact, uh, and 70% of, of the shots he took were threes. So uh he was a huge, huge part of the Raptors maintaining the three as a heavy part of the offense uh, they were top 10 in terms of three point rate by volume and percentage uh and green was a, a huge huge factor in that you mentioned his defense maybe isn't what it what it used to be by the end of the year i probably uh would agree that he didn't deserve the all defense nod but his work the first half of the season until he kind of got fatigued on that end was, was really strong um and then you know this is uh this is something that you can't quantify but he was one of the leaders in that room and yeah they have a they have a pretty good leadership group with lowry and gasol and a guy and even Fred Van Bleet has really stepped into that role um, but Green was kind of a tone setter in that regard and a guy who had been through it as well so I think they'll miss him on both ends and a little off the court as well
3: yeah and I think you might say all right you know Danny Green above average defender above average shooter can't really dribble that much (laughs) uh you you know he's not at all dynamic you mentioned the 14 percent usage but what really sticks out is how difficult those contributions are to replace in one player to have just any kind of two-way ability at the two then how many twos are actually capable of sliding up and guarding a lot of threes, switching if they need to, I mean, even guarding some fours potentially. Uh, and you just, you don't find players like that. And I, I mean, you know, we're not spending as much time on Leonard because it, his uh, <laughs> loss is, is much more obvious, especially in the playoffs, but it's just so hard to find that guy who really is just like not only can make shots you know Norman Powell I think you know you're not gonna just leave him wide open like he'll make some shots if he's wide open but who's like really a threat out there where you're like okay we can't leave this dude uh especially the way he played in the regular season and then also to be a quality defender across multiple positions I mean there's you know especially at shooting guard where replacement level is one of the lowest uh, among all positions you just don't find guys who can do both of those things
1: yeah and this is where the Raptors are going to be interesting it's going to be interesting to see how they try to call cobble that together and and their first instinct might be to try to see if Norman Powell can step into that role I think at this point we have a pretty good idea of who Powell is as a player Um, not quite the three-point shooter as Danny Green even coming off of a strong season can maybe put it not maybe he can put it on the floor a little bit more um, and create a little bit more but he's also not the defender Green is so you don't have that full 3 and D package to the same level even if he does give you a little bit more ball handling Um, Terrence Davis is an interesting rookie who you obviously don't want to you know you don't want to pencil him in for 80 games and 25 minutes a game uh, in a Danny Green role he can do some of those things or or shows the potential to do some of those things but he's also an undrafted rookie Um, but the most interesting angle might be that the Raptors when Kawhi Leonard didn't play last year often started Fred VanVleet and Kyle Lowry together Um, the issue with that is twofold one you're fairly small like that so you mentioned um, you know Green's ability to slide up to the three well you don't really want to do that with VanVleet and Lowry even if both of them can guard the two fairly capably um you know Van Vliet showed in the playoffs he, he's pretty good chasing guys off the ball and Lowry has always shown a little bit of positional versatility on defense uh, but they also don't have the point guard depth behind them uh to really you know safely start Lowry and Van Vliet together for for big minutes you're you're looking at campaign and Isaiah Taylor competing for a roster spot uh and then guys like Powell Davis Pat McCaw um maybe Pascal Siakam with the ball in his hands a lot as your your point guards behind them so um not a clear answer and this is where you know nick nurse's season gets gets really interesting uh, in terms of how he manages both the loss of leonard and green and green's kind of the toughest one with that three and d where every option in house uh, kind of presents a problem that green didn't on his own
3: yeah and i think that's to me i think i have a pretty decent idea of what they're going to be offensively and Probably the biggest variable in that is, I guess there's two, one being Lowry and how much he falls off the other one, how much Siakam can improve. But I I suspect those things will about cancel it each other out, but defensively i mean i think especially by the time the playoffs rolled around and i think you know the regular season is probably a bigger focus this year in toronto than in the past you know it's probably not realistic for them to get into championship contention uh but this was like to me one of the greatest defenses of all time by the time the playoffs rolled around i mean against philly milwaukee and then you know was obviously a limited golden state team you know god i would have loved to have seen that that series with golden state at full strength uh but uh losing green and leonard how much do you think that impacts what they're able to do defensively could this still be a top five defense uh, with the remaining talent
1: yeah just to touch on your point about the, the level they took it to in the yeah. playoffs it's it's still kind of something that it just wows me you know i i know they cut the rotation to eight and there were no bad defenders within that group you know norman powell was probably the the shaky or at least least consistent uh, individual defender but they played those teams orlando was a was a poor offense but they played philly milwaukee and Golden. State. They, uh and their defensive rating in the playoffs was 2.6 points lower than it was uh, in the regular season they they really took it up to another level and I think you know obviously you see what a locked in Leonard does what some of these vet guys turning it up does and what Nick Nurse and his staff game planning for one specific opponent does I don't know that this group has that same um, playoff series upside I do think though over the course of the regular season they project as a as a pretty good defense they remain fairly versatile um, like I said Lowry can guard a couple spots uh Pascal Siakam and OG and can kind of guard either perimeter or forward position they brought in Rondé Hollis Jefferson and Stanley Johnson who while those guys have some offensive limitations particularly in Johnson's case um, both are pretty solid defenders and have shown some versatility on that end of the floor um maybe not maybe you're gonna see some decline on that end from Gasol and Abaka um but I think overall you look and this team was this team during the regular season it never really felt like they were in full gear on defense and they were a top five defense uh leonard was never really in full gear in the regular season Uh, i think they can repeat if not a top five i'm pretty confident they'll be a top 10 defense i I think you know the floor is pretty high on that end and and nick nurse is you know creative enough and he's going to have them play aggressive enough to force enough turnovers that um, they'll still be they'll still be pretty stout on that end of the floor
3: yeah i mean as you really go through their rotation again they're still don't look like any civs and now ananobi has got to be a huge part of that he was not in the playoff rotation essentially uh, coming off that appendectomy and and some of the issues that that he had last year personally can you just walk us through uh, what it was that was so difficult for him last season and what his outlook looks like for this year
1: yeah so ananobi had a a tough season for several reasons there was tragedy and injury Uh, his father passed away just before the season uh, so he was away from the team for a big chunk of training camp and again early in the season um, dealing with family matters and then um, once he was once he was around and playing you know Siakam had kind of run with the starting power forward position which is fine but Ananobi had kind of settled in as a rookie to that fifth guy in a quality starting lineup role and I think that suited where he was in his development and what his skill set was so adjusting to a new defensive role and then he suffered an eye injury and then he suffered a wrist injury on a bad fall against Boston and then he suffered suffered uh, a concussion and that took a little bit uh, a little while to come back and initially I think he passed concussion protocol and it was one of those one of those tough ones that the symptoms come up late and and then linger for a fairly long time Uh, and then yeah on the eve of the playoffs he's rushed to the hospital for an appendectomy and he was I think the Orlando series was over before he was even out of the hospital um, and and, you know like walking around capably and stuff like that Uh, he was cleared by the time the finals came around but after six seven weeks off you can't can't really drop a guy like that uh, into a playoff series. So it was just kind of, it was kind of hit after hit. And I think that takes a, a toll in a couple of ways. Obviously, you know, it's immeasurable what kind of mental and psychological and emotional toll um, going through a tragedy like that takes. Uh, and then from a purely basketball standpoint, that stop start throughout the season of, you know, you get your feet under you, you get some rhythm and then you get hurt again and then your role changes. Um, and going through that a couple of times, there were still games and stretches where Ananobi was flashing what he flashed as a rookie. Um, I think he said he set a career high multiple times in scoring over the course of the year. Um, there was one game that stands out where him and Siakam combined for like 55 points or something like that. Uh, and, and his defense was picking back up, but every time that started to happen, uh, you know, another thing happened, the, the concussion happened or the wrist thing happened. So, uh, I think that, you know, obviously there's a physical toll to there, to that. There's a rhythm toll. And then I would imagine by the end of the year, that's just psychologically exhausting to go through all of those things. Um, the stop start the the emotional weight you're carrying so um you know statistically that sophomore season looks really poor if you look at if you use jacob goldstein's uh, player impact plus minus it's one of the most dramatic sophomore drop-offs uh in recent memory uh, but i think you can not throw away that season you don't want to you don't want to get rid of the data the data points altogether uh, but i think you can pretty clearly see why the raptors would look at him and think hey why doesn't his 2019-20 season try to build off his rookie year instead of off of his sophomore
3: year? yeah th- that certainly seems fair he did end up playing over 1300 minutes seventh on the team in minutes although that might have been lower had the gasol trade not happened uh but uh, yeah and he uh, where do you think he can actually take steps forward in terms of, of his performance this year? What is it reasonable to expect to, for him? I mean, I, number one, he looks like he's probably going to be the starting small forward. Do you think that's right?
1: Yeah, I would. That's how I would project it right now. You know, Hollis Jefferson and Johnson are there to, to threaten for it, but the Raptors have so much invested in Ananobi that they'll give him you know ample yeah. opportunity to well, run with that Well,
3: and, and guess what? The crazy thing is, he's actually the best option as the shooter at the position if he's going against those other two guys
1: <laughs> it's true um you know 35.1 over two years uh, a drop off in his second year in terms of three-point effectiveness so i think the things you're looking for from him is are you know you want that three to be a little more consistent we know threes are high variance, so even a 35 percent shooter is going to have some bad stretches uh but they'd like him to knock that down a little bit more the free throw percentage is maybe a little concerning when you're projecting his future three point percentage. He's only been a 60% free throw shooter for his career so far. Very tiny volume, but still. Um, and then I think the things you're looking for the, the two big things in terms of his, uh, his growth be outside of just shooting variance. Um, one is defensive consistency. I think we've all seen at this point that Ananobi locked in and what Ananobi looks like as a defender when he's really on. Um, the upside is there. The consistency. I I still
3: remember that game as a rookie pretty early on against Houston in Houston where mm-hmm. he really lo- you know did one of the best jobs on James Harden that year uh, that I can remember anyone doing at least during the regular season
1: yeah it, there was that game he he said some other examples like that too where he's guarding you know I, I think they put him on um John Wall or him and Siakam were spent time on Wall and Beal in the Wizards series um just to try to mix things up and he's kind of he's kind of shown he was the team's best option against um Kevin Love it felt like in in that Cleveland series and then he also you know LeBron killed them uh in his rookie year that that yeah. sweep but he was also the only guy who didn't look afraid which is you know maybe those are the, that's the kind of thing that's the kind of intangible thing you look for uh from a rookie but yeah the the floor also hasn't been there he's been prone to to lapses he's been prone to inconsistent stretches so that's something you'd like to see come along and then you know it, it seems a little reductive but just his ability to put it on the floor and attack a closeout um he's shown a, some adeptness cutting to the rim and finishing around the rim but his dribble game really isn't there yet and uh you know you you need to see a little bit more of that just because no matter whether he starts uh, and, and those are lineups that are trying to absorb Leonard's usage or whether he comes off the bench where it's a little more balanced. Um, uh, they're probably going to need him to use more than the 15% of possessions he, he used a season ago and the 12 he used as a rookie. Uh, and to do that, you're going to need to be able to put the ball on the floor a little bit. You're going to be, need to be able to be a part of the transition attack coming off of any misses that you force on the defensive end. Um, so he definitely needs to grow and not be, you know, three and D is a, is a helpful definition, but you don't want your, your guys, especially a young player like this you don't want the skill set to be limited to spot up shooting right now
3: yeah and uh, the spot up shooting to me i think it is a concern as well you know i i think right now my if i had to say what i think he's going to shoot on threes this year i think last year's 33 it's closer to the whatever was 38 percent or something that he shot as, as a rookie um he does still at least last time i saw him look a lot more comfortable from the corners uh, than above the break and there's uh you know there's other guys c- that they kind of need to stand in the corner you know, siakam is i mean he's not going to stand the corner of the ball a lot but as a three-point shooter they have a lot of these guys who are just more comfortable in the corner than uh, above the break you know stanley johnson will probably have the same problem uh so yeah i think that uh he obviously is a key figure you know, if he can start to really give you quality two-way play also uh, maybe improve as a help defender as well then uh this team could be uh, the type of defense we're talking about and be adequate offensively i mean if between if you're playing him and Siakam and then bringing Johnson and Hollis Jefferson off the bench at the three and four, and you're just, if, if, and an can't be a good shooter he still might be the best shooter among all those guys i mentioned even hmm. siakam if he can't deliver from that perspective then you're looking at a team that could really struggle offensively i think
1: yeah for sure and, and you know three-point shooting you can't it can't just be your point guards giving you that it's uh it's a concern at a, at a lot of spots And uh, you mentioned siakam too like if the if the ball's in his hands more and they're running more of the offense through him that takes him out of the corners right you can't you can't be a lead ball handler from the corners so um his his percentage just were dramatically better from in the corners than they were above the break or off the dribble. So um that's probably my biggest concern with the team right now is, is where does three-point shooting come from? And maybe, you know, you don't have to be tenth in three-point rate, and you don't have to be sixth in three-point percentage, but you certainly can't risk going toward the bottom in those categories and expect to expect to keep up with, with some of the some of the other teams around you. So um, you know, you look, and maybe Lowry should shoot better than the 35% he shot last year. He has a long track record of, of being a higher end shooter Um, maybe they even look to get him off the ball a little bit more as Van Vliet's role expands Uh, Van Vliet's a good shooter you know I don't I don't think Gasol's going to repeat as 44 percent but he gives you something there but these are where the question marks are and that's where that that shooting guard spot becomes really interesting too whether it's Van Vliet whether it's Powell whether it's a Terrence Davis whether it's Matt Thomas in a specialist role because they need shooting so badly like like maybe Matt Thomas because of that is able to run in sort of a CJ Miles bench mob role where uh you know it's not there defensively but you just need someone creating that spacing for your second unit so um nurse is gonna have to get really creative with, with finding ways to space these guys out
3: yeah and also just uh, the ball handling as well norman paul is your number two ball handler i guess again you go back to hoping that that is eff- effectively gonna be siakam mm-hmm. in the starting lineup, and maybe you will see at the end of games lowry and van vliet together and if they feel they need more offense they could move Powell to the three especially if it's not a team that has size at the that position but you're certainly giving something up i think defensively by putting powell in, in an ob spot there as well, let's turn to Siakam. At, at this point, played at times at an all-star level, at least an Eastern Conference all-star level last year. Had flashes of brilliance in the playoffs. Also, he had uh, that calf injury that appeared as if it might have been self-inflicted in, in <laughs> the in the Sixers series. And what people forget in that epic Kawhi Leonard Game Four performance, that arguably was the most important of their playoffs, even before you got to what he did in the Bucks and Warriors series. uh But Siakam didn't uh, effectively was was not able to play much in that game uh so but but aside from that he, he had these incredible moments uh also at times when it looked like he couldn't hit a shot to save his life but now it seems like he's gonna be the leading scorer on this team and so what do you think he can realistically be this season
1: yeah, this is, this is kind of the question for them. And it's probably the most fun talking point about the Raptors this year. Uh, you look at the jump he took last year, and I think maybe people wave their hand too much at, well, he was doing this while Kawhi was getting all the attention. Uh, he played a lot with Kawhi Leonard, but his numbers were actually in terms of, um, points per game and true shooting percentage were better in the games that Leonard didn't play. Now, to my point earlier about their 17 of five record, some of that was selectively picking when Leonard sat, but he was also pretty good in general. Um, and, and you saw that a little bit toward the end of his sophomore year, too, where he took on more and more of a role with that bench mob that everyone loves so much and was one of the best benches in basketball. Um, there, there was this was real growth aside from Leonard. His minutes spiked by more than 50 percent. Um, you know, you don't average 17, 7 and 3 uh, by accident. And then you look at his efficiency and with this spike in minutes, with this pretty significant spike in usage percentage also came uh, a big jump in in efficiency he got to the line almost twice as much um the three-point shot at least from the corners was a little bit more reliable and then he just is he does such a good job getting to the rim and, and finishing whether it's in the mid post or right at the rim um he has a lot of tools in his toolbox now what where the questions come in are you know taking that from a 21 percent usage rate to a 25 percent usage rate is pretty difficult especially when defenses are keying in on you as the number one that might necessitate you know a little bit more mid-range or floater range to his game just as teams try to sell out um sell out the the restricted area from him it probably means a decrease in three-point percentage if he's out of the corners more because the ball's in his hands and then the big thing i would say if the raptors are going to build more of the offense around him him. Um, not only is, is not only his whether he can maintain the efficiency as the number one target of a defense, um, but his playmaking took a big jump in his sophomore year. It really didn't move in his third season. Um, his assist rate crept up a little bit on a percent, on a percentage basis, but so did his turnover rate. So the bulk of his growth came as a scorer. Um, the next step now, and we know that this is a really difficult step for one-on-one scorers to take, is he's got to be able to use a little bit of that attention to create for his teammates as well. You don't you probably 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 don't want to run into a situation where it looks like early season Raptors last year where there's the Raptors offense here and running parallel to it is the Kawhi offense Um, you don't you probably don't want to fall into that so he's gonna have to I'm pretty confident that he can repeat at nearly an all-star level I think he's probably a good bet to to jump into the 20 points per game range based on the the role that he's gonna have Um, probably a good bet to to make the Eastern Conference all-star team but in terms of how you build an offense around him as a number one guy um, you know the question of maintaining that efficiency over greater usage and greater attention and then can you turn those one-on-one skills into creating offense for your team as well
3: yeah the, that last question of how you build an offense around him it, is really interesting to me and you know what what are his skills how is he getting his points last year well there's the grab and go the transition stuff one of the better transition players in the nba uh to be sure they like to run that semi-transition dribble pitch for him uh, to get out uh, into the lane but most of what he was doing was some defensive attention has been drawn elsewhere we're going to get it to this guy he's going to be able to attack off the rim go into his spin move there's not going to be a ton of help and he's just going to overwhelm the guy who's guarding him physically either with his length his strength or, or athleticism the tactic that we saw in the philly series that started to become pretty effective in the playoffs was putting your center on him and with Gasol and Ibaka able to shoot uh, just kind of guarding him like he's a, a mini Giannis which i think is uh, i've said for about a year now is that i think the most accurate comparison and he doesn't quite have that level of physical gifts but in terms of just what he does uh, with the ball it's kind of similar to that Giannis of course the, the Bucks give him the ball a lot more and, and he's able to overwhelm guys uh, even more than Siakam uh, but Can he get beyond this, okay, quick opportunistic attack, quick duck in for a post-up? And so I think the biggest thing to me there is can he hit the mid-range jumper can he foil this idea of putting a center on him and who's just going to back up and wait for him at the rim to where he has to be guarded out there and then he can use his quickness to blow by a guy like that who can't just lay off him? I thought you know in the playoffs he would pull up for mid-rangers Joel Embiid was just letting him shoot and he couldn't make him pay enough with that shot
1: yeah and that's you know it's always a tough development question because oh mid-range is bad Um, it's not actually it's you know if those are open mid-range looks or they help open up up shots at the three-point line or at the rim that's a really useful tool to have and and seth Partnow of the athletic had a great piece last week that was basically that basically showed you know once your usage starts to go up to a certain point you kind of got to take a little bit more of those or or at least that's what we see guys do um maybe encouraging uh siakam shot 44.4 percent from 10 feet to the three-point line in the regular season uh pretty small sample we're talking a shot and a half uh, a game so not not significant there but at least better than he shot um during the postseason I know we can't take uh offseason workout videos as anything it does look at least like that's been a focus of his uh his offseason work being able to come up and and, you know hit those short corner off the dribble or, or hit from the elbows and things like that so um you know Siakam hit a point within the last two years where I stopped trying to guess what his ceiling would be or where the skills would cap because he kept blowing away even optimistic expectations um but yeah that's the biggest question can he you know can he be a 40 to 45 percent guy from the mid-range on more volume um you know can he if team if they run more pick and roll with him and guys go under can he make them pay um can he extend that even to above the break threes the same way he he improved his corner three-point shooting last year um those are questions and and i think defenses would be smart to challenge him on all of those early in the year Uh, i think you're gonna see teams treat him like that
3: yeah his natural shot form is not really conducive to shooting a pull-up he he shoots more of a set shot he's worked on that that standstill three-pointer but he kind of like turns his right leg way to the side and and he's (laughs) when he's shooting that set shot it's kind of it's hard to just like stop on a dime and pull up there just overall a set shot is a little harder to shoot when you're moving off the dribble so maybe he needs to even just kind of rework his shot at least for that mid-ranger into a pull-up because and now the good news is so much of it for him is confidence Mm -hmm. and he's just gonna have all he can eat offensively where you know it's not gonna be like oh you missed a couple of these shots we we got to go back to Kawhi and kyle now and we're about to lose this series so uh sorry you're not getting a, another chance to shoot this uh unless you make your first couple like he's gonna have as many chances as he needs i think to really grow his game especially because he this His development is probably the most important thing that's going to happen this season for the long-term future of the Raptors franchise.
1: Yeah, for sure. I think honestly, you know, however they end up in terms of team quality, whatever they do with the veterans, the biggest thing they need to know coming out of this year is... Can Siak is Siakam a number one option on offense or is he a really good number two? And I don't think look, he got drafted 27th overall, and people thought that was a reach. If Siakam settles in as a very good number two, that's not a disappointing outcome. That's that's a still a great outcome for for where he came from and what the expectations were initially. Um, but the Raptors are gonna have a bunch of cap space in 2020 and a bunch of cap space again, probably in 2021. Siakam is up for an extension, uh, and otherwise we'll go to restricted free agency next summer when you're gonna have to put a price tag on what that ceiling is uh and then you know you've got to build your roster if he's your number one guy or even if he's the number two guy you have to kind of build your roster moving forward with this cap space and with this sort of reset or pivot to a younger group uh with what he is in mind so i think you know if you're a Masai Ujiri and bobby webster and, and and that whole front office um you have incentive to give him all those possessions because you need the offense anyway but you also really need to know um not that he can't improve past his fourth year but he is 20 He is 25 He'll be twenty six by the end of the year, um, and he's about to get paid. So you need to know whether you're paying him as a high end number two or, or as the number one focal point uh, of your office. Not that you look. We're talking twenty twenty one. Obviously, if Giannis was like, "Hey, I'm gonna come to Toronto. I, I love Greek Town. I love the Danforth. Uh, I'm coming over. Coming over to the Raptors," you figure that stuff out. Um, but you need to know moving forward what exactly Siakam is. So I think you know that's the biggest thing. That's the most interesting thing from a from a casual fan perspective is of what type of star Siakam turns into uh, and then from the the team side I think it's the most important question they're going to answer this year.
3: It sounds like you're and forgive me if I'm putting words in your mouth here that you're you're talking about oh him establishing his value how much are they going to pay him next summer. It seems like given that small hold that he has you're not optimistic of an extension getting done
1: yeah this is um eric kareen my counterpart at the athletic and i were discussing this a little bit and we we kind of feel differently masai ujiri has a history of trying to lock up his rfas ahead of time um terence ross and Jonas valanchunas both got deals that were not the type of team side discount you would expect to get a deal done early um you know if if siak if they could get pen to paper on a carousel LeVert like contract for siakam i think they'd jump i think if they could even get get something in the like four eighty range done, they jump. But when you look at the gap between um one, the gap between his cap hold for next summer, which is I think seven or eight million versus what his his cap number would be if they extend him now. Um no the twenty twenty class isn't very good, but that's still an opportunity cost in terms of renting out your cap space and acquiring draft capital to to take on a bad contract or signing someone in a second tier that maybe you know maybe isn't a splashy twenty twenty edition but in twenty twenty one looks like a good piece. Uh, There's still an opportunity cost there. So um, I think that the Raptors would have to, you know, I think Siakam's camp is probably starting conversations that, look, he was almost an all-star last year. Look at all this growth he he showed. Going to be a number one guy next this year. Uh, If you don't sign him now, he's going to cost you the max in restricted free agent next summer. I think the Raptors would be open to that gamble, uh, if they can't get a, at least a little bit of a discount, um, to, to get this done now. So 20 is kind of the number that I've had in my head in terms of annual value. I think maybe they'd go as high as. You know, twenty-two if they could get it done just to avoid that max scenario. If he does take that jump, uh, but it's a lot of lost flexibility and not a lot of downside because he would just be restricted free agent. He would be a restricted free agent, and I think his relationship is strong enough with Masai Ujiri where there would still, you know, sometimes you worry about eroding that trust uh, between player and organization. I don't think that I think the Raptors could navigate that fairly well and explain, you know, look, you're you're restricted free agent. We need the flexibility. We'll take care of you then. So I. I'd lean toward a deal not getting done. Um, I think the Raptors probably have a number in mind. And if they don't get that low, then there's not there's not enough incentive to jump now. I guess uh,
3: I, the numbers you're talking about, 20 or 22 million a year. I mean, now I did uh, my negotiation with Dan Feldman <laughs> on our m- mock rookie extension spot. We weren't able to get there. But even Dan offered the full max for five years, but just he wanted the last year non-guaranteed. And, and finally, I just got so insulted with him that, that I decided to not do it because I thought anything less than the five-year max guaranteed uh was way too low and I, I mean i think just where he's at you know i think he, you probably project him as a clear top 30 in the player mm-hmm. in the nba now you're getting he's already established a pretty high level of performance you're getting him through you know this is his one chance to cash in probably you know you're getting him through four or five years of his prime you mentioned that he uh he's gonna be turn 26 this season and you know if it's 22 million a year for four years because you, you can't do five years unless you do the max right uh in an extension The most he could get over four years with 8% raises would be $129 million. You're talking about 88. I mean, so that's like, that is a huge difference. That's over $40 million difference. I mean, that's basically, you know, two thirds of what he in theory could be getting as max starts at at about $29 Next year, the five year would be 168 million over five years. And even the four, uh, you know, a three plus one in restricted free agency, which, you know, I think that plus one could be really valuable for him at his age to get mm-hmm. back on the market after three years. That's 124 million. So if that's the type of numbers they're really talking about, number one, I might actually be a little insulted <laughs> if, if I were him. Uh, and number two, I would say, no way. That's absolutely ridiculous. Uh, and especially when you look at, I think it's going to be a pretty positive market for restricted free agency and a two-way guy like him just does not come along would fit in really well on on so many of these teams that have cap space next year so another thing that i'll add too uh, about those extension talks is yeah you're definitely in theory giving up a lot of cap space uh because that cap hold is so low 7.1 million dollars and uh, you know, the, but the, and the max that he might get if, the, if you start would be, uh, you know, 29 million. So you're giving up 22 million in cap space in theory. However, I project them at 75 million <laughs> in space next year. And so is the difference between 75 million and 95 million in a week free agent class, is that a big difference? And then you look at that too, you're basically the difference between his cap hold and what he'd be paid is about the difference between the tax and the So you're basically put if you use all your cap space and then sign him to a max you're basically right at the tax already and, and i'm not sure given where they're they're going to want to be next year i mean they, they've had the appetite to pay the tax before but i don't know i mean it seems like this team could be moving into more of a rebuilding mode it may not be in the cards to, to get right up to to the tax and they wouldn't necessarily have a great way to cut salary either uh next year uh, if they were to like get into the season and, and want to cut it when i say next year i mean the 2021 season yeah um
1: no, th- um, those are th- those are great yeah. points. And when I threw out twenty two, I'm just I was just using a number that was sub max, you know. Uh, yeah. Uh, no, no, I, I
3: wasn't saying you're like reporting that or something. Yeah, I just yeah. Said that that <laughs> um, would be. And I understand Toronto's thinking, like, "Hey, we want this extra flexibility. You got to give us a discount." I mean, if I were them, though, I might also just be interested in getting that fifth year too. I think that would, yeah, be yeah, that, that's that that that's a good point.
1: If you, uh, especially with his late start and late peak um, and lower early, you know, early basketball life mileage, you know, maybe you project him yeah. to maintain his peak a little longer. Right. But, um, it was, yeah, that's a honestly your, your point about the diminishing returns to cap space is uh, it's it's a good point, and it's something that like. As I was doing the cap scenarios once Kawhi left, it's something that I battled around with a lot of like, does it even matter? Um... You know i still i still lean toward you'd rather have the flexibility than not um i'm just trying to yeah. when i threw at the 22 um you know just trying to highlight that the raptors would probably they'd probably lean toward or sorry they'd probably need to get a sub max deal done um for it to be worth the trade-off yeah. um that, that makes you know, sense yeah yeah you guys you guys didn't come to an agreement you and dan for for a reason uh 22 would obviously be a, a steal um yeah it's just sorry i was just uh, just ballparking with uh,
3: yeah. No, well, I mean, I think regardless of what number you choose, uh, the exercise is an interesting one, and... It- my uh, you would think that that offer that five-year max offer obviously has not been made or he would have signed it already right you know that so yeah that would uh, be a, does, if
1: that yeah. offer gets made that's a real easy decision on siakam's on campsite
3: I yeah i mean now you know maybe i don't think he would like be holding out over the player options with like that i mean maybe you could see it kind of going the four-year couple million below the max gobert Giannis, cj mccollum extension type of route um but perhaps Toronto values that flexibility more than i do uh, but i also think it, my prediction for what will happen is that they roll over a lot of that 2020 space into 2021 and maybe they do make a, a play for Giannis uh, or somebody else uh, at that point um and that you know next year so and if that's the case you, know, you don't really get any extra cap space from that hold so yeah the flexibility right. is worth something i think uh, and perhaps they put more of a premium on it they have different plans uh, than i realized maybe just simply even trading for someone into their cap space space it uh, could be a possibility as well i mean that would be a way that you could use that small cap hold also so i'm not saying it has no value but maybe just because there's so much space it's not like oh yeah we're about to we're in championship contention and if we sign him we can't give someone a max and if we don't sign them then we use the small capital and we can sign someone to a max who's then going to like put us over the top potentially it doesn't seem like you know there's a, that big of an inflection point with that extra 20 million or so
1: no it's a great point and i you know i'm guilty sometimes of getting a little too lusty over flexibility uh um, well
3: i mean dude, dude that's probably like the most common criticism of me and dan <laughs> <laughs> over um, overall that, that we uh we never want to commit to anybody uh yeah
1: i, I would like to see at, a at least in our
3: professional lives
1: <laughs> yeah there you go you see mine it's more of a personal. Life of things so, yeah I, um <laughs> Uh yeah, I'd like to see a deal get done. I I think, you know, even if the Raptors could trim a couple million off the max and, and get that done. But I, I don't think the relationship between player and organization is so strong there that even if he went to restricted free agency, I'd be immensely confident that he, he remained a Raptor. It's just a matter of getting the details. Oh yeah. I mean obviously details, e- even right.
3: if even if it were the max, they would match it. But then you yeah. know you also have the chance of the three plus one him yep. potentially wanting to leave. I, I mean, I, I think he's probably gonna be worth that contract. and he, he hasn't doesn't really have an Injury history he worked really hard he, he's got better I mean even if he's about the same guy as last year you, you might feel a little bad that it's an overpay but it's still I mean just the two-way ability that he has uh and his ability to scale pretty well uh, with other good players you know he's not a great shooter but he really can fit in and transition and defensively and as a passer um so uh, let's talk a little bit about the projected rotation now Lowry Powell and Anobi Siakam Gasol probably going to be the starters Uh, would you agree with that
1: yeah I'd say probably that's the lineup they roll out the most often I think the the two spot is probably the one that's the the biggest question whether they want you know Van Vliet in there or they want Powell to soak up some usage with the bench and um but yeah I think that's that's probably the most common five-some they roll out
3: yeah I guess we could see Gasol and Ibaka together depending on how long those guys last uh, on the team I mean Ibaka struggled oddly from three last year was on fire from two uh but that might be their best shooting duo uh Ibaka might be their best shooter at either the three or the four (laughs) then that moves Siakam to the three that makes things interesting as well it might also make the put your center on Siakam thing a a little bit less viable and if Siakam's gonna have the ball maybe the fact that he can't shoot as well as the three doesn't really matter that much I mean that's Mm -hmm. you know if you had to say who are their five best players you'd probably say it's Lowry, Van Vliet, Siakam Ibaka and Gasol so that you know that kind of an alignment at the end of games does get your best lineup on the floor maybe they'll go in that direction and that, that worked certainly pretty well against Philly and there are other teams that are going bigger more this year
1: yeah I don't know if they'd start that um just because the, yeah you know, no the I agree they need issues but yeah, yeah that's, they need uh, Ibaka as
3: the backup center yeah
1: yeah nurses and nurses and shy about that stuff and I think I think Van Vleet is almost certainly going to be in a lot of closing lineups um just they've always you know, going back to Dwayne Casey when nurse was the lead offensive assistant they've just Always really liked having a second ball handler and, and another point guard who can shoot out there. I think they like getting Lowry off the ball a little bit in those situations too. So I think Van Bleep probably projects is closing a lot of those lineups. And yeah, I wouldn't be you know Nurses has teased Siakam as a three, and I think one of the nice things about his skill set offensively matching up with his positional versatility on defense is that you don't really you know oh Siakam at small forward doesn't really sound that weird when you look at who he's guarding most of the time anyway and how often. And the ball projects to be in his hands so uh i am all for giant ball um i love the i especially love how often the raptors in the playoffs went to lineups that were at the same time very tiny and very huge with the two small point guards and uh see at the three so i'm i'm all for quirky ones like that and i think you can i think you can get into some fun weird bench lineups like that too where like you know you have johnson and hollis jefferson who are these defensively flexible guys who you probably want to invert the offense for at the other end of the floor
3: Yeah. I, I- I think that would be really interesting and it could maybe be one of their best defensive groups uh, as well. If they feel like Powell is not, quite there uh defensively and if uh and is not quite there offensively it could, could be interesting there um let's talk about some of the guys who are not necessarily established rotation players coming back first of all i mean who do you think is going to make this team they've, they've got some interesting guys uh, on non-guarantees uh, who do you think uh, is going to actually end up on the roster to start the season
1: yeah it's interesting so they have five players on partial guarantees fighting for what amounts to three spots if we're assuming none of the fully guaranteed guaranteed guys uh, get waived. I think DeWan Hernandez probably is pretty safe. They gave him 500000 guaranteed on a three-year deal um, where the last two years aren't guaranteed any amount um the number 59 pick obviously isn't a huge investment but that level of a team-friendly contract uh, they liked what he showed at summer league um i think they they like the potential he has if they can stick him down with it obviously there's not a need for him with siakam and the forwards they have and gasol and Abaka. um but with a, a heavy year down with 905 i think they like what he could be he'd probably be the guy that i give the best odds of um you know boucher showed a lot last year but he's also 26 has a small guarantee and maybe like i don't have this on any authority but i don't think it rubbed people with the team the right way that he committed to nick nurse's team canada squad and then pulled out after um so i don't know if maybe he's working from behind the eight ball uh in that sense um i would still think boucher probably has a a better shot than malcolm yeah. miller I mean, he,
3: he was he was the g league mvp last year wasn't he yeah or, or the playoff mvp i can't remember
1: yeah he was the g league mvp and g league defensive player of the year um he was one of the best players in summer league uh, i think at some point you you'd much rather keep him on the roster and see what he can do before you you get rid of a guy like that um so i i would think probably dewan hernandez is safe boucher probably has an edge on malcolm miller in terms of the the guys who've been in the system and have small guarantees and then miller could make the team but i think they'll probably want to keep one of campaign or isaiah taylor uh they just they don't have a third natural point guard both of those guys are on um inexpensive deals uh i think i think one of those guys will probably make it i would lean toward isaiah taylor but he's also coming off of a year lost injury so i don't know you know exactly where he's at in his development now so I, i'd probably go hernandez boucher and taylor but taylor and campaign look like a, a coin flip
3: right yeah uh, and uh, taylor is someone i i've liked you know relatively as as a third point guard type uh, Mm -hmm. before but yeah he kind of wasn't able to take the next step in it in his career after he he had some chances uh, in atlanta most notably Uh, so and then uh, terrence davis they signed to a a fully guaranteed deal uh, as well i mean i suppose they could always just eat that if they are really in love with some of of the other guys no they really like davis yeah
1: um they're they're excited about him i think they think he could be the next in the line of kind of norman powell fred van vliet uh undervalued assets that become fan favorites pretty quickly yeah um and then matt thomas is in on a on a fully guaranteed with a partial guarantee in his second year too so he's in the mix somewhere as well he might you know with a guy like that and his his skill set he might profile as more of a specialist out of the gate i don't know that he's going to defend enough to to stay on the floor uh other than maybe like i mentioned if, if he soaks up some of those cj miles minutes and possessions with a with a bench unit if they need the shooting
3: yeah i mean they really don't have any other just shooting specialist types right. uh, with this group and they probably have enough defense around him that maybe they can get by if necessary uh so let's do a little exercise i like to do here with some of the guys at the back of the rotation let's put these players who are not necessarily established rotation players of this group in order in terms of the amount of playing time think they're going to get stanley johnson ronde hollis jefferson terrence davis matt thomas patrick mccaw uh
1: okay i would go hollis jefferson first Um, and and
3: what do you think how do you think he's going to be used you going to be the backup power forward
1: I think so. But I think with Siakam and his own positional versatility, you know, they're, him and Johnson are probably in a battle for what I would just call backup forward minutes. Like, yeah. if we we don't necessarily know that they're going to use a five-man bench unit again, I kind of hope they don't. Um, so I think Hollis Jefferson has a little more positional versatility, probably a more established defender. And then while he's a worse shooter than Johnson, he does enough other things on offense that I think he'll probably have the uh, the inside edge on those minutes initially um you know if if a and gasol or gasol get hurt or load manage at any point i w- I would also be interested in hollis jefferson as a tiny center uh, yeah but that's minutes, pretty much
3: all he was doing for the nets by the end
1: yeah i think those minutes would probably go to boucher in that case but i would be interested to see it anyway um
3: yeah i mean and, and frankly hollis jefferson might be like a little tougher of a banger than than boucher who's pretty thin doesn't provide the room protection that that boucher yeah. does but yeah i mean and i think hollis jefferson's a decent fit with either uh gasol or Ibaka because you know he can he's had pretty good experience uh, as the role man in pick and roll and those guys can space out so that's not a terrible fit there um good cutter who, too yeah. which which might yeah.
1: be complimentary with Gasol uh
3: who do you put after that
1: i'm gonna this is a maybe fits in the bold prediction category i'd put terrence davis next um wow. I think.
3: T- tell us about what his game is like for those who, who haven't seen him most.
1: yeah so terrence davis obviously he's a an undrafted free agent so you, the expectations have to be fairly modest but he has a very complementary skill set in that he provides a little bit of ball handling um decent amount of perimeter defense a decent amount of shooting he neither of those are established as like an a1 skill uh the Raptor, but the raptors have been using him throughout their summer program as kind of a combo guard getting the ball in his hands a little bit as a point guard to develop those skills having him run pick and roll um you know the shooting is probably the biggest question mark there uh but he's someone that you know we talk about some of these examples and you know whether powell's shooting or maybe his defense um maybe they're they're not consistent enough thomas maybe he can't defend well enough to stay on the floor uh macaw you know they might they've talked about him as a as a potential third point guard instead of a shooting guard um but he also just might not be able to do enough offensively um so
3: why did they pay him so much
1: i i don't really understand it i know they like him but two two, years eight million with not even with a non-guarantee or a team option or anything like that it's it's just a straight two years eight million was perplexing to me
3: i mean perhaps there was a thought that they had to offer that to him to bring him in on the minimum last year to just kind of say hey we're going to take care of you after that but yeah I mean I didn't think he showed much yeah frankly, they like him again. as a
1: person and they like it they they think he can be a third point guard I think um, which maybe makes that campaign Isaiah Taylor battle a little different um, but yeah I, two years eight million all guaranteed is uh, that was a little strange um, but yeah Davis Davis has all these complimentary skills and I don't know that the the upside will be there initially and as a guy who spends a lot of time with uh, out at 905 games self. I want him to see ample g-league time uh, and get those reps in uh, but he's a guy that I could see just kind of fitting the culture and fitting the the system as kind of a you know a higher floor lower ceiling on both ends of the floor um, kind of a middle ground between the other options so uh, I will make that bold prediction that he he ends up with uh, the bulk of the the number two shooting guard minutes
3: it sounds like you're lower on what Stanley Johnson is going to bring
1: yeah, I just, the Johnson, I, I just like the, the big thing with Johnson is I just like Hollis Jefferson better than him. And I think yeah. that they've been brought in to compete for a fairly similar role. Um, I like Johnson's yeah. defense.
3: The, the organization appeared to like Johnson better. They paid him more.
1: <laughs> yeah. And, and they gave him the, the player option on the second year, which right. like the McCaw thing was a little head scratching to me. Um, I guess like we talked about with the cap space that they're going to have next year, the, you know, the marginal opportunity cost of that is, is pretty negligible. It just was a little strange. Um, Yeah i like hollis jefferson better than johnson Johnson's obviously a a good physical defender um but whereas hollis jefferson can cut a little bit and can work as the role man and has had decent assist rates for a complimentary player johnson has shown pretty limited offensive capability and maybe not the best acceptance of you know the type of player he needs to be on the offensive end i do like him as like a personality fit um and he seems to be fitting in well with the team but you know yeah that's good
3: because i mean that's he was kind of dogged by uh discussions that he maybe wasn't like the greatest guy to be around uh, in the past uh, although he's had his own like personal tragedies that he's had to deal with as well Mm -hmm.
1: yeah yeah the early personality fit as far back as vegas seems to be you know from what i can gather pretty pretty good so um you know he's gonna have a tough time in toronto in the winter because he according to his instagram he doesn't own shirts um so i don't know uh i don't know how that's gonna work shirts shirts he is uh not a fan of shirts which is going to be tough in Toronto. Hmm. Um yeah, but uh no, in seriousness um I just I like hollis Jefferson better and I don't I don't know that with the role Siakam's going to get and the leash and Ananobi's going to have to figure it out that there will be enough minutes for four forwards to be regularly getting time.
3: Yeah, it would be interesting too if those two guys played together at Arizona. Uh, mm-hmm. So uh, we'll see them uh, to see them competing at four minutes. All right, let's uh talk about the strengths uh for the- this team.
1: Yeah, I think, you know, I think the the one thing you look at is they're even if the defensive ceiling isn't as high, I think there's a good floor there. I think they're pretty versatile defensively. Um, and then that what flows from that is I think even with the loss of Green and Kawhi, I think this is still a really good transition offense. They were the best transition offense in basketball last year, and a lot of that was Siakam Lowry Van Vliet fueled, and I think a lot of that can carry over. So um the ability to create turnovers and, and be switchy on the perimeter, and then the ability ability to turn those into uh easy offense the other way it was probably where where their biggest strengths
3: yeah that, uh, i would say that's true i mean just playmaking and passing from the big man positions with gasola uh, and siakam uh, uh and then you know Lowry and van fleet as well i think that they, they've got pretty good passers there. i think just uh, finishing at the rim you know driving and finishing at the rim. i mean really siakam is the only guy in on this team who, who's capable of doing that i think uh, at this point uh and then and just overall isolation play shot creation again that's really siakam and, and you know if you were to compare him to uh, the all of the other like number one isolation shot creators I mean, he's probably gonna be towards the bottom part of the league at least uh, for what he was last year maybe he'll improve it in that regard uh, so those are the things that would stick out to me as a uh, potential weaknesses uh, for sure Any, anything else uh, that uh, and i'll echo your thoughts uh, on the strengths uh, anything else that sticks out to you that we haven't hit on yet obviously we talked about the shootings some but uh, anything else that comes to mind
1: yeah the the shooting like we touched on the you know some of the ha- what the half court offense looks like and I just think I think the floor is lower than we've become accustomed to with the Raptors over the last couple of years just because if Lowry or Siakam were to suffer an injury I just it exacerbates so many of the the offense creation problems that that we've discussed a little bit um you take one of those guys away and it's just it's hard to see this op this offense being too too functional unless Van Vliet takes a jump or you just start really running a lot of stuff through Gasol so I just that's not a specific weakness I just do think the floor is lower than we're maybe used to with the, with this group of
3: guys yeah and I think they've also had really established third point guard options as well right if, yeah. if Van Vliet or Lowry went down they had right or, or even Jeremy Lynn who didn't play well in a Raptors uniform but I think was probably you know but better player than uh, some of the guys that they have uh, behind him as of now you know if you're talking about Patrick McCaw or campaign uh, being the backup point guard potentially so uh or uh, Isaiah Taylor. Those are all kind of really not uh fantastic options if they really have to step in. So yeah, there's. I mean, they have depth, but there's a lot, and I think they kind of have enough outs in the spots that aren't filled as long as there's not an injury. But the, if there is an injury, yeah, I think it could be a problem. But you know, hey, welcome to the NBA. That's yeah,
1: exactly. Uh, exactly.
3: Um. All right, let's do a predicted record here for the 2019-20 Toronto Raptors.
1: All right, I'm gonna go with uh, uh, every time I do this, I, I can't remember what where i was last year but usually people get mad at me for being a little. Uh, you
3: you predicted 57 wins last year oh and wow I that was really close and i predicted 58
1: okay uh i am significantly lower this year uh i have them at, at 47 and 37 or 47 and 35 sorry
3: yeah that's just about the range that i was thinking of as well i mean i still think these guys are going to be pretty darn good defensively uh, and I don't think they're going to be atrocious on offense, especially with the transition play that you mentioned. I think they could struggle at the end of games but Mm -hmm. I think they can they can cobble together enough and you know maybe there's a huge drop off from Lowry and Siakam can't take a step forward for that but Lowry has enough institutional knowledge as an offensive player I think that as long as he's healthy he's going to be able to really help them with just all the little things that that he does so I and I think you know at least they might be concentrating a little more on the regular season this year because they don't necessarily have championship aspirations but but actually I mean this is probably something we should talk about more the chances of it in season trade moving guys like Lowry and Gasol and Ibaka they're three expiring contracts uh, veterans who clearly can help contenders what do you think the odds are of those guys getting moved and what what might it take if they are if toronto is kind of in that range we're talking about here of like hey you know fifth seed fourth seed sixth seed type of range
1: yeah this is this is where our our chat about kind of the 2020 cap space and flexibility they have becomes more interesting because i think the most realistic deal framework for either of those three vets is you send out one of those vets you take back obviously you have to match contracts so lowry at 35 gasol at 25 a at 22 or, or whatever the exact numbers are. Those are a little difficult to pull off when teams don't have cap flexibility in season. Uh but that's where maybe you're looking at taking yeah. back a salary that has some 2020 2021 money owed on it yeah. and that's how you kind of grease the wheels on picking up an asset. uh now, Lowry, I would be even though he's you know the best of the three players and could really help a playoff team, his salary is just so high that it's hard to find a deal like that that works.
3: Yeah. And I mean, there are a lot of just crappy uh our 16 contracts that are expiring so may- maybe it could happen
1: yeah um it's possible but i also think that lowry lowry more than the other two you mentioned the institutional knowledge it's also just you know he's at this point probably the best raptor of all time the biggest fan favorite um there's probably more like more reason to keep lowry outside of just like the purely analytical yeah. um and then there's also the potential you know to to work out a deal with him to, to stay into kind of his twilight yeah, i mean you can
3: always him. sign an. Ex- to you, I mean, maybe they wouldn't want to do that. I don't know what number again. Like with Siakam, what number is an en- is enough to want to keep him around and reduce your flexibility next off season? But yeah. maybe there's a deal to be made there.
1: Yeah the the question that comes up with that one, I guess, would be you know does then you're talking about you know it, it extends into your 2021 money maybe because you can't de-escalate yeah. the ex- a, a new deal that much. So um someone someone kicked around. I think it was Daniel Hackett of Raptors HQ kicked around the idea of a handshake deal where you extend him to like like a balloon number for next year when they have all this cap space and then there's a handshake agreement for like a mid-level deal beyond that when they have you know when when they're kind of shifting it to, to getting good again but I think that's uh the handshake deal is a little risky uh, I think Lowry moving is pretty unlikely uh, I think that probably would have happened in the offseason were going to happen uh, for a number of reasons yeah. Gasol or Baca I think is a little more likely and I think that could be a case of you know here's a contract that matches um that extends an extra year and here's a draft asset to do it you know whether that. I, I don't think Boston would do this but because they have there's too much upside if Hayward figures it out but say they want Embiid insurance and Hayward isn't having a very good year maybe you kick something on to eat Hayward's last year to pick up Gasol as an MB defender or, or something like that I, I, the Hornets are sh- the Hornets shouldn't be attaching draft assets to anyone but if it's true that they're shopping Batum maybe you take on Batum's extra year and Abaka makes that math work and gets Charlotte out of the deal a year early things like that I think are, are possibly on the table i'd probably bet against each got each individual going but on the whole i'd I'd say it's you know this this is a weird like strictly probabilities thing each individual i'd say is below 50 percent to go but i think that the odds are probably one of them goes by the deadline
3: yeah well and i guess the question is It's probably just not, especially if you're still in playoff contention, it's not really worth moving those guys unless you're really getting a first-rounder and maybe even a solid first-rounder. Now this organization has done very well with those picks, so maybe they're more valuable to them than a lot of people. But yeah, it, it seems to me like you know and then how do you get to that first round value is marcus hole by himself worth the first round pick well he didn't even get one last year when he had two years left on his deal though he had the the player option and uh, so it'd be interesting to see whether you know a team like boston who does have still plenty of uh, extra assets and and does toronto want to help boston when you know they're in theory kind of right about the same level in the east and i also think it has some value to this group to just finish the season really well right to for signal sure. to potential free agents uh this year and next year of like hey look what we are you come join us we're right back at the same level that we were when we had Kawhi Leonard Yeah. so so that's uh and yeah sorry
1: just to add to that I mean when we're talking about guys like Siakam and Ananobi and Van Vliet and finding out who they are and, and developing them in a winning season like this well suddenly you know going a second playoff round through that lens is pretty valuable too so if you're in that three four five mix and you think you could win a playoff series uh and you know get to the second round again that's that's really valuable you know that's a very valuable learning environment for for both the front office figuring these guys out and for the players developing
3: so back to to the prediction here i'm not going to make the potential for a trade a significant factor i think it's more significant if they just get injuries early or they just mm-hmm. way underperform and then maybe there's more of really a downside tail with this group because of a potential for trade but i think in kind of a normal season for them uh, it's not as likely to happen and i just I, i'm not sure that there's such a great package out there for a gasol or ibaka or a lowry right. that it's worth you know breaking up with yeah, i mean it's it's not worthless to be the sixth seed or the fifth seed going into the playoffs and maybe have a chance of winning around i mean there's nobody that at uh, at least as they're presently constituted other than milwaukee and philly that's gonna just scare your pants off so uh, i think 47 is right about where i'd be i mean i think fifth in defense or so uh probably more likely a little bit lower than that than higher than that but it's right in that range and then slightly below average offense i mean that the offense i have a harder time projecting because it, it just i'm not sure whether and they've got guy uh, skill position guys that i like but it could just be that the lack of shooting on the wing is just too damaging and that just chokes the life out of everything so mm-hmm. the. the i'm a little worried about that so you know i'd put him in kind of the 17 or 18 range so yeah i think 47 wins is kind of right about there uh but you know you could see uh so so i'll mark that down for both of us uh best case scenario
1: uh best case scenario you know siakam steps into a number one role and and i'm not talking you know mvp candidate but uh obviously that's the hundredth percentile outcome but he steps into that role he takes on a little more usage um you know fills that capably lowry doesn't decline as much as you would expect for a a 33 year old point guard, um, Lowry's kind of bucked the predictions that he's going to decline for several years now, and, and maintained kind of top 30 ish. Uh, player impact, uh, at least by some of the advanced metrics. So, uh, Siakam takes the step. Ananobi kind of continues from where we thought he'd go his rookie year. Uh, Lowry doesn't decline quite as much. They avoid making a trade. I think this team could win into the early 50s and then, you know, make a run depending, on, you know, probably not to the Eastern Conference finals, but if Philly had injuries or things don't click there, um, you know, they could definitely at least win a playoff series and make it, make it a, a bit of a fight in the best case scenario with, with Philly and Milwaukee.
3: Yeah, I'd go, go with 52 there. Um, so you're probably right around that range as well, yeah. it sounds like, um, for a best case scenario. A- and I'd say worst case to me is probably about 40, uh, and maybe a little bit lower of a tail. But it's just, it's hard for me to envision that there's anything they do that's going to make them. I mean, maybe if they just moved Lowry, Andy Baca, and gasol or they got some injuries early and they just you know they're kind of right around 500 they looked like first round cannon fodder for philly or milwaukee then maybe they could move all those guys and it would drop down lower than that but i think under any kind of normal circumstances 40 is about it i mean that's a little bit longer tail uh on the downside than the upside but i i, I think actually as i look at this team especially if they stay together i think this is a to me at least one of the lower variance teams in the NBA, because I think they've just got so much institutional knowledge. They've shown the ability to play well without superstars, whether it's DeRozan or uh, whether it's, uh, or I should say without stars, whether it's DeRozan or whether it's uh, Kawhi Leonard, and also, I just really believe in Nick Nurse's coaching uh, as far as the defense is concerned, and, and finding something to be creative offensively. So, yeah, I don't see a huge downside of this group. I'd say forty, uh, and, and frankly, that probably would still get him in the playoffs.
1: Yeah, I, I'll I'll say forty-two just to put a number on it. But I, I'm with you. I don't, you know, I think the I think there's the floor is lower just because. You know it, it's, I guess it would come down to sequencing for for me to go lower than 42. You'd have to be like, okay, well, Lowry gets hurt early in the year, they stumble, and yes. then right away there's an incentive with Gasol and Abaca to kind of see what's out there. Um, but if those things happen later, I, I think they're gonna have enough built in the bank. I think even with the loss of Leonard and Green, you know, there's seven rotation guys worth of continuity here, including yeah. the guys who are gonna have the biggest roles. And, and like you said, I I like Nurse as well, uh, so I'll say 42. I that that keeps it nice and tidy in my head, 42 to 52, range with a with a 47 prediction so
3: yeah and i think part of the reason why i give them say that they don't have that much variance i just i can't imagine the defense not being a top 10 group and they still have basically no holes in that top seven defensively I and mean, you have to go down to like a Matt Thomas type before you look at someone and you're like okay that guy's a below average defender I mean they, they and just not having a place to attack for defenses I think is, is such an underrated aspect uh, of what makes a defense good so I mean yeah maybe Gasol breaks out maybe Ibaka breaks down like those could be issues too but I, I'm uh I'm very confident that their defense is going to be extremely solid
1: yeah I'm with you on that like the only you know defensive rebounding maybe is an issue Um because they were average there last year and won't have the, the early season JV minutes to prop that up. But uh, I think they're going to be really solid on that end.
3: Anything else that, that we didn't talk about that you wanted to to mention for these guys before we go? Uh,
1: trying to think. I don't think so. I the, think we...
3: you, you, an hour and 11 minutes wasn't enough time potentially.
1: Or... <laughs> yeah, I think, uh, <laughs> you know, I think we covered it pretty capably. There's there's like if people want to get like really down to the to the details, they, they have a three man camp competition for their two two way spots. But I think I think we covered more than enough. Uh, that we don't need to get into
3: it <laughs> all right well thanks man this is awesome uh as well you can follow blake's work on the athletic theathletic.com athletic.com slash cap space is uh our url if you want to sign up and give uh me and danny some some credit there but uh blake is enough reason to, to sign up <laughs> in his own right if you're uh a raptors fan and uh i, I think that that's all i got what's your uh twitter handles we give people that before we go
1: uh blake murphy odc
3: have i asked you what odc stands for before
1: uh, I don't know if you have. I've answered it on podcast before, but when the very first blog that I made was a baseball blog called the On Deck Circle, and Blake Murphy was taken on Twitter, so On Deck Circle ODC. <laughs> what,
3: what year was that? Two
1: thousand eight, maybe. Wow, aging myself here.
3: Yeah, well, it's it's a better name than uh than the Team Rebound. That's that's what that was <laughs> what I started with. Uh, <laughs> all right, well, thanks again for coming on. This is great, and uh, looking forward to seeing you this season at some point, maybe.
1: Yeah, thanks, man. I appreciate you having me on. I always love doing these ones.